0: Turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring me
1: a Good evening, and welcome to NoxMente. Tonight's guest is Ren Collier. Ren is an avid scholar of the paranormal, having been obsessed from an early age with the anomalous and the occult. Originally from the deep American South, he currently lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he toils endlessly at honing his craft. Wren is also working on his book, <laughs> Focused on the Intersection of the Occult and Ufology. Wren, welcome to MaxMent. Welcome, hey, Ren. Mm-hmm. Hi, everyone.
2: <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that you lived in Minnesota until this moment.
3: Yeah, um, I moved here a couple of years ago. Um, I lived here briefly before, while my girlfriend was some grad school up here. Mm-hmm. Um, moved back to Atlanta. Uh lived there for a little while and decided that we wanted to come back up here. So
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Those are both places that I have family Atlanta and yeah, or Minnesota. Yeah.
3: yeah huh. I grew up in, uh, in Alabama and you know, when I was a kid, Atlanta was always the, the big city for me. Cause it was like two hours away. It's where I always yeah. shows and stuff. And, uh, when I got older, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm going to try living there and actually living there when you're an adult versus like visiting there when you're like a stupid teenager is a whole lot different in terms of experience.
2: Oh yeah. I have, I can say all the places I've lived, which has been like over a hundred places now, a hundred moves. Um, I've never had any Alabama experiences.
3: Oh wow. You should go to Alabama sometime. I mean,
2: I've been through it and I do think it's actually beautiful. I've just never had any experiences there.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a geographically beautiful state. Um, it's also extremely poor and has a lot of problems right now but
1: i hear it's got also, a lot of lakes
3: it does have a lot of lakes <laughs> like a, i i grew up near um logan martin lake down there where people have even have houseboats and stuff and like so
2: did you have a lot of nature time as a child
3: yeah on the weekend uh often we would we'd go up to mount chiha and like talladega national forest um and I remember sort of like every weekend my dad would want to go up there and go hiking or there was a there's a place up there called Bald Rock that's sort of like this huge sort of natural <clears throat> i I
2: do love those like kind of lookouts there's in Tennessee there's lookout mountain as you probably know mm-hmm. where you can see what I don't know. Several states, so allegedly. there's something about allegedly, right? Allegedly, I can't. I've never been able to make make the boundaries out, but I love the cave there. But it's still there's something about the altitude and just looking so far off and seeing so much that there's something mesmerizing about that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Don't get much of that. Very flat. Oh, ramp,
2: but. Well, I I love so many people in Minnesota. That I absolutely detest Minnesota. I would feel like I get stuck when I'm there. It's like how I feel about Iowa and I I love Iowans, but don't I don't want to be there.
3: This is my I guess my second or third winter here and I thought I was going to be able to like handle it better. I think every year I'm handling it a little better. Um Yeah. I'm at the, the point this year that I'm like I really-
2: Yeah, I, was- I don't
3: miss that up there.
2: It's charming at first, it's so beautiful. And if they were just shorter, it would be great. It's just they're so long. So this kind of all plays into how we open. Tell us about about the world you grew up in as a young Wren. And I mean, your earliest memories of things that influenced you. And so we already have kind of an idea of where you were and that there um, there was nature involved and all that. What, what things influenced you on TV, dreams you may have had early, early
3: on? I think one of my earliest and most terrifying like memories that led to a lot of dreams and stuff were, were my parents taking me to see Ghostbusters 2 when I was apparently a, a baby. I was really young. Um, and the only thing I remember is the scene where the little baby Oscar is walking across the ledge outside, because uh, Annie Potts and Rick Moranis are too busy making out to notice that he's climbed out onto the ledge, <laughs> and uh, this like ghostly nanny like sort of flies in from the New York City skyline and like reaches out this like supernaturally long hand and like grabs him and pulls takes him away. And I remember being in a theater and like seeing that, and it and it's odd because like I, I must have been like literally a baby but it's still like my earliest memory. And I think for, for years um, I used to sit like my, my living room at my parents' house was like off to your right. There was like a long hallway that all the bedrooms were down and the living room is where the TV was. So, you know, I spent a lot of time like sitting in front of the TV, watching like Star Trek and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I would always get this like feeling that something was watching me from down the hallway. And I would Ooh. always expect to turn and look, to my right down the hallway and see that same like ghostly woman like staring at me. I never did, but I always expected it. I, I think other I, than
1: your mom, right?
3: Yeah, other <laughs> than my mom. I think I, I think I carried that even into like almost like teenage years. I was was a very weird, like magically minded child. Like I don't know where I got this idea, but one of my first like sort of things magical thinking I remember is when I was like really young like elementary school age probably like third or fourth grade I believed that I could control the wind like I would stand out in my backyard and I would like say okay now go left and the wind would like go left and I would say go right and the wind would go right and it was like I gave no justification for it at all other than like yeah of course I can control the wind and I would believe things like if I ran through a rainstorm, if I ran at like just the right speed and, and just the right like sort of hops I could like get I could like avoid getting wet. Like I could avoid every single raindrop. And I don't know why I thought like this. But
2: <laughs> this is that's actually fantastic. And would you convey these things to like say your parents? Where did you get <laughs> did would it, it's like with children in, in what they call their imagination I suppose mm-hmm. did you We was it reinforced or did it you know what was the feedback
3: um it wasn't really reinforced it was more kind of like you know I would try to tell them these things and they'd be like yeah okay that's cute you know like they you know, <laughs> didn't really give it too much thought although with the wind thing I did convince that like um this n- girl who was a neighbor of mine and my little brother that they could also control the wind and like we would all stand Ooh. outside and do it together.
2: Oh, now see, here's where the power happens. We start getting agreement with others,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, what see, sign are you in? I'm a Pisces.
2: Okay. Did So when you were doing this with your two other friends, did was it working the same way?
3: I mean, in my head it was. I, I really oh. don't know if I was actually <laughs> controlling the wind, but it seemed to agree with me most of the time. <laughs>
2: Well, there's yeah, a thing that's called mind-busting.
3: That really that's in your
2: head, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. I had some tea there. Thank you. Um, it's um, it's it's part of. I mean, this is this is like a neural pathway. That's fantastic. So you're open. You're you're already believing in yourself, and you're bringing others into it. Um, yeah, and knowing where you've where you are now, that just is that's great you know, it seems like so par for the course.
3: <laughs> yeah, in some ways, it's it sort of scared me later in life because um, as I grew up into my teenage years and into my early adulthood, I had a lot of experiences like that where sometimes I myself and other people were kind of like deep into some occult or paranormal type stuff, and sometimes I wondered if I was maybe convincing other people mm-hmm. that it was happening um, and, you know, maybe it wasn't really happening. Maybe it was something that I was just imagining. And right. I began to grow really worried that I was like convincing other people that these things were real. And then they became so real to them that it was like affecting them.
2: Yes. Well, that's, I mean, that's a nice way to kind of have a sense of security or control. Also, you know, there's like, it's like a stop gate in a weird way. Um, psychologically speaking. Did you, were you brought up with any kind of religious stuff? Uh,
3: Very loose. I mean, um, neither one of my parents regularly attended church or anything. Um, Like sometimes on Easter, we would go to like a service or I had this brief little period. um, So neither one of my parents were really very religious. I think my dad had a lot of problems uh with the church he was like brought up in like a baptist environment and he couldn't really stand this kind of brimfire and hellstone Mm -hmm. hellfire and brimstone approach and um so he he never wanted to go my mom a little more was like a church of christ person and so when i was first introduced to like the occult i think i was maybe 11 or 12 and i had an Mm -hmm. older friend who was into like Wicca and, and had some like books and ceremonial magic and stuff and and he would like teach me stuff and like loan me books and when my dad found out about it he was like oddly upset about it even though he wasn't oh. religious he like didn't
2: I was it still he, like devilly to him
3: yeah I think so although in his defense I think maybe he was more worried about what other people would think more than he cared himself. Uh,
2: you know, yeah, yes,
3: like he maybe he felt like he was looking out for me because, you know, I, I was growing up in a very conservative religious place, um, even though, you know, my, my sort of orbit around my day to day life wasn't religious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I took it badly. So I said, Okay, well, you know, if you want me to be a Christian, then I'll be a Christian. And so I started to go to church uh, regularly on Sundays, I would go to like Sunday school. And I was like, Okay, yeah, you know, people teach me about the Bible. And I was going to a Church of Christ, and how old were
2: you at this point when you decided I'll do this for my dad?
3: Um, it, it was around the same age. I think I was I was just getting into like seventh seventh grade. It was like okay. right around right around going into high school. Okay. And um, I would go, and like I was I was going to the Church of Christ, which is sort of a weird. They have sort of their own little weird things, and that was what I found out while I was going there because while I was going to Sunday school to be like okay well teach me about Christ teach me about the Bible because I didn't know anything about it and all they taught me were all the reasons why the church of Christ does everything right and Baptists do this wrong and these other like in the church of Christ they don't use instruments in their in their uh, music devotionals they just use their voices and they're very proud of this and, and tell people this all the time and that lasted for maybe like six weeks for me, because I was like, I'm not actually learning anything about like the faith, you know. I'm just, I'm just learning a bunch of like junk. Um, and I was like, you know what? I can just read the Bible myself if I yeah. really feel like it. And that was which is a
2: rather juicy read, by the way
3: yeah I mean I would just like I would pretend like I would start to read the Bible, but then I would just immediately skip over revelations and then read right well, I wanted
2: to say this earlier the the brimstone <laughs> and fire stuff's the best part. it's the best bit, yeah, really. Um, I am the most fascinated by all that all that judgment and um th- yeah, that's the good well, stuff.
3: there was an interesting thing that we would um i don't know if they had these in other places of the country, but in like the deep south during halloween a lot of churches are in these like things called hell houses where like you go and it's like a morality play like some bad teenagers get drunk and die in a car accident and like you follow them through hell
2: i've never heard of this and
3: and, and then like you know scared straight yeah (laughs) it's kind of like that like like they initially go to heaven and then jesus rejects them and then they go to hell and you like follow them through hell and um, oh it's so it my lab.
1: Trauma-based mind control it <laughs> Right,
2: totally is
3: <laughs> I, w- I would get dragged out to these um but I was probably the only person who was like wow hell is fucking cool
2: <laughs> right well like, it's got all the good colors and yeah
3: the sexy the, babes and you know exactly it's like hell is way cooler and yeah I mean, that's probably not what I was supposed to get out of that but
2: yeah, I always got, I, di- I didn't get any of this, but when I I was, I'm, I'm still interested in all of it, I love it, um, but I did, it did always sound like, wow, this seems more like a place of freedom, you know, like a freedom of will, so I can kind of do what I want, get around, and then as I came into occult stuff later, I, you know, I started to parse all this out, but as a young person, I was mystified by that Dichotomy between con- such control and then such freedom in these two aspects of of Christianity.
3: Yeah, and you know, in the literature too, hell is pretty thoroughly described, whether it's in the Inferno or in other texts. While heaven is always left nebulous, so it's like mm-hmm. if you're really interested in like, you know, the, the other world, the material you're going to read about it is going to be about hell, and I always found. You know it to be fascinating. Like I read The Inferno in high school, on you know, just on my own, and just everything about it always fascinated me. I mean, like sort of like death in general, like fascinated me or sort of had a situation yes. for me when I was a little kid. Yes, same here. When I was when I was pretty young, um, I had a cousin who was like two years old at the time, or maybe he was younger than that. He may have only been like a like a year old or something. Um, and we had went to visit him at one point and not long after that visit he like mysteriously died in his Whoa. bed
2: oh jeez that's terrible
3: yeah it was and it was like my first real experience with death mm-hmm. really and it was very formative for me because i was like even though i was a little kid i, I still thought i remember going to the funeral like seeing him in his casket and everything mm-hmm. And thinking, like, everything is tenuous. Like, mm-hmm. if he died and he was that young, he wasn't an old person, like, then I could die too. Yes. And then so- I became, like, obsessed with my own death. Like, I, would, I wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night because I would lay in bed awake and I would think about being in, like, a coffin and, like, looking out and, like, seeing people, like, come view me at my own funeral.
1: Yes. <laughs> you must have loved Kill Bill.
3: yeah it was weird like I I mean I I couldn't go to sleep um for weeks because of that and you know I I eventually kind of got over it And you know I I have different views about death now so it doesn't bother me as much but um
2: we're we're definitely going to get into death that mm is um I find this this so what you've just said though is something I find with a lot of people in western culture Mm -hmm. that have encountered death as young young people I did too and I Mm -hmm. went through that same kind of phase terrified for a while Um, and I'm always struck by this similarity in concept and also there's a certain patina that people who experience death young and are allowed to experience it so you get to see the body in the casket you know you knew the person that wasn't uh, and not talking grandparents I'm talking your peers or younger you know relatively young so that it affects you in a way where I can die it's it, it they can die it's possible now that I can die and as a little kid that's kind of heavy mm-hmm. uh, um so that is fascinating I I'm I'm strangely not surprised to hear this even though I didn't know this I haven't heard you speak of this anywhere
3: mm-hmm. yeah I've um, never talked about it on, on other shows or anything because did you have any person.
2: dreams of that experience of like him in the coffin or it, any dreams of him after after the death
3: No, and then that's something that is, I don't know, maybe not unique is the right word, but like, I generally don't dream about people I know, um, hardly ever. Um, Every now and then I will, um, like particular key like figures that I've known for a long time. But in general, I don't dream about events that have happened to me or people I've known.
2: Okay, interesting. Did you, are you RH negative by chance?
3: I have no idea what blood type is. that's probably bad, but I have no idea
2: It's not bad because if there is an emergency, they type you so fast nowadays <laughs> in the past, that was like life or death. Uh, um, okay, so here at the beginning, oh yes, 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 yes. So have you experimented with any psychedelics and and I'm not really interested in like partying stuff, but anything that actually cracked your shell
3: um. That's a little roundabout because, yes, I've done plenty of psychedelics, um, mostly recreationally, but experimentally as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of them kind of in a a small frame of time when I was a little older. Like when I I think when I was 19 was when I did my first uh, hit of acid. A guy from Oregon mailed me something. Of course. (laughs) It's always Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> and um <laughs> and I remember uh the first time like I sort of did LSD, I it wasn't even strong. It was like a really weak hit, but it was enough to bring back my imagination in the same fashion that it existed as when I was like a a kid. Like I could convince myself that like I was somewhere else or or like I could sort of live in fantasy, you know. Um, then later, um, I became friends, uh, with a, uh, a director who was sort of infamous for abusing over the counter, like drugs, like Robitussin, uh, Dramamine, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> and for a little while I did a lot of that, um, cause a, it was legal and, right. and B, I i was i was experimenting um specifically I, I think and still to this day the most vivid psychedelic most psychedelics i've done you know they make things look weird and they make your imagination go crazy but they don't really make you see things that aren't really there mm-hmm. but um i at one point decided to take like uh a super high dose of benadryl and the active chemical in Benadryl is like diphenhydramine hydrochloride. And <clears throat> it causes you to have, like, tangible, like, hallucinations. Um, I remember when I was, like, coming up on it. Uh, it makes you feel physically awful. Please, nobody listen to this. Please don't do Benadryl like this. <laughs> like, right.
2: Yeah, we're not advocating anything. No, you know,
3: please don't.
1: Can't anymore. They changed the formula.
3: Yeah. OK, it's astoundingly dangerous. Like, please don't do this. So. Like I feel like I can't swallow. Like my tongue's like swollen. I can barely move. But I remember looking around and and seeing my friend, and then noticing that his eyes had been like replaced by molten orbs of metal. Oh wow! And then I I looked over at like the couch that was next to me, and and just like in a horror movie, like these enormous spider legs started coming out from over. <sighs> like the couch and oh my God. like this this enormous spider like crawled out and was like looking at me and I, c- I could see myself reflected in it's like eyes its eyes were like listening and I, I still remember like how vivid and like real it seemed even though at the time like I knew that I had taken something I didn't like freak out about it but I was like when you're confronted with something like that real looking
2: mm-hmm it almost it's sounds up. like PCP to me.
3: Yeah, it's it's terrible. I mean, the the physical effects are awful, but like just like the the hallucinations are, are horrifying. But the the what I meant when I said roundabout was like I had had out of body experiences and sleep paralysis since I was like young, young, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know like out of body experiences are more, I guess reality shredding than any psychedelic that you can do maybe say like dmt or something
2: i i I agree 100 with you on that but it a lot of people it's the it seems like so few people actually have out-of-body experiences that the closest thing to get a non-local experience is is through some sort of um alternate method to get there and yet it still pales
3: yeah exactly and you know like I encourage people like have some sort of non-local experience whether it's you know through DMT or mescaline or or an out-of-body experience I mean it's they're all means to an end yeah But if you can have an out-of-body experience that's you know it's free (laughs) and you're not going to get in trouble for having them and they're more vivid than any drug I've ever taken
2: it's still, and then so in, the, in
1: the astral planes, not heavily policed, like they say
2: mm. <laughs> yeah, that caught me, Jerry with the it's free part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, I'm not, I'm leaving that for post-horus, <laughs> but write that down, Jerry. Um, so I do, I agree with you though. I think, I think that it's a good thing. And and in, in we look at other cultures and there, these kind of ceremonies Mm -hmm. that involve some of the sacred herbs and the the sacred things that earth grows. Um, You know, psychedelics have played a big part and continue to, we should expand our consciousness and get out of the little egg we are in. Mm -hmm. It needs to be cracked. So I don't advocate, I'm not advocating anyone do it, but I also think that because of legal reasons obviously Mm -hmm. um, but I do think for me, it changed my life in the bet for the better
3: yeah I think it does for most people as well um you always people always try to scare you away with oh what if you have a bad trip but
2: I had many and that's why I stopped <laughs> so like <laughs> like with anything if it's bad why would you do it why would you continue um how is that let's move into so i want to get into the paralysis and all this dream stuff so let's start let's start moving in there okay um Give us an idea of your general, the general non-lucid, non-OB, non-paralysis uh, type dreams. You're just your average dreams. Maybe even this includes your daily unpacking of events. What do they look like and sound like, etc. cetera?
3: Okay. Um, I mean, I've got um, sort of my poorly upkept dream diary up if you want me to read some of these for you.
2: Yeah, oh, I'd love that. We don't get enough actual dreams on here, and that's, that's my fault. fault. That's my fault, mostly. I, 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 I'm always I, wanting to know what people are thinking. What's going on with it?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Some of these I read, and like I have weird little memories of them, but like some of them seem totally foreign to me. Like, um, this is like, late 2017. Um, I don't know if this counts as a normal dream, because it was prophetic, but I had a dream of going to a theme park. Uh, like I remember looking up and seeing a roller coaster above me and the next day um, my girlfriend suggested we go to the mall of America and I'd never been there. And I didn't realize there was a roller coaster in the mall mm-hmm. of America.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: <laughs> so um, some more dreamy dreams. Um, so again, late 2017, um, I'm driving a hoverboat into a tunnel or cave filled with water. The water is full of Nazi soldiers, and we're driving over their heads, machine gunning them. Oh, wow. Um, Walking away from war, we decide to run away together to a faraway place. That's odd, because I don't know who I was like running away with. Um, Traveling to an African country, hanging out in a small rural airport. It's very hot. Bill Murray is there. I try not to stare or bother him, waiting for the plane to pick us up. Um, walking on top of a suburban hillside, it is windy and the sky is dark and full of clouds. It has rained recently. The trees are green. Um, driving a truck and meet an enormous, chaotic being on the side of the road. Man with birds, birds' wings, tentacles, and peacock feathers. Always shifting shape, writhing chaos, colors constantly shifting across entire spectrum. I know this is the demiurge Satan Lucifer. He mm-hmm. talks to me in a casual tone and lets me know that he's not so bad and gets a bad rap. These
2: That's... are incredible. <laughs> and
3: um, these are your dreamy dreams. I mean, these... Yeah, some of these... Like, this is an interesting one, I think, because it has... It was it was very surreal, and I'm interested in seeing what you all think about this. Um, so I'll skip the first part of it, but basically I was... Uh, I dreamed I was in Paris with someone and we were like running away from someone. Um, we got to this forested area. It was very like dense, like kind of jungle. And there were broken down cars and sort of metal junk everywhere, almost like it'd been a city once, but it had been like kind of overgrown.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: there was a river and stream nearby, and I saw an enormous beetle crawling on a flat piece of metal. Ants swarmed from underneath the beetle and started disassembling it. They took off the eyes first. I tried to capture this on my phone, but it would only record a small bit. As they dug further into the beetle, they found and pulled off even more huge circular black insectoid eyes. Dozens inside, like they they opened up its eyes and there were smaller eyes inside of it. Eventually, they completely broke it down and retreated. Then a swarm of red-winged blackbirds burst from the underbrush and picked up various things. One was a turtle they carried high into the sky before dropping it to the earth in order to kill it. They also picked up my phone and dumped it in the water of, of the stream where I picked it up before it sank. The swarm disappeared into a cliff cave opening.
2: So OK, this, let's just talk about this dream for a minute. Do you remember dreaming it?
3: I do remember dreaming it because I, I I more specifically remember the the beetle being like sort of torn apart by these ants because of how surreal it was because it was like, it was like there were things inside the beetle that they were pulling out and like and taking off into like holes in the ground,
2: and so what was the fe- what was the feeling you were
3: getting from that? I was like absolutely horrified and like disgusted at what was happening because it was like i was I was viewing some sort of like visceral part of nature that I wasn't supposed to be
2: Mm-hmm. so did you feel kind of like you were? were you a spy in a weird way were you did you have a secret eye into this or were you part of the environment
3: um in the dream i was like physically present It, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a sort of a third person camera kind of thing it was like i was really there but i think um like sort of the idea that i felt like i wasn't supposed to be watching it was sort of reflected in the fact that i tried to like Record what was happening, but like my phone wouldn't record it for some reason, and then and then it was taken. Yeah, and then it was (laughs) taken away from.
2: So okay, when you come to from this, do you remember processing it? What did you? How did you come to terms with this symbology?
3: I don't think I've really thought about it in term in terms of its like symbology. I think I was just so sort of horrified and disgusted by it like when I woke mm-hmm. up that I just wanted to get it out of my mind I mean I wrote it down but yeah it was, it was sort of like like seeing something like that happen like terrified me for some reason
2: yeah well it is I mean it's it's those are it's a pretty potent image that you painted in my head for sure um and so this is kind of an aside however because this imagery is so great do you um do you take your dreams and find any... Do you make art from your dreams? Uh, I don't. I typically don't. Know. Because, it, I mean, that just... I want to see a painting of that or or some sort of short Dada video or something. Is it such, such great imagery?
3: It, in some ways, I do, but not... But more specifically, one recurring element of uh, several dreams. Like, I have... I don't know how many people you talk to that have this, but I sort of have... Uh, one place that i've had many dreams about that i've come back to multiple times yes
2: i'm always um, asking this
3: (laughs) yeah and i do make i have made art of it i mean it currently is part of an enormous art project that i've been working on for years
2: can you tell us about this place
3: yeah so it's a tower that is sort of in a dream version of my hometown and it's a tower that's made up of a bunch of different sort of crumbling buildings, and it's higher than any other building uh, around it. It just keeps going forever up into the sky, and it's just like rubble. And every time I dream about it, like I I'm, I get into it and like I start climbing it, and you know it, it's full of places that look like, they were lived in, but have like fell to ruin, like broken chairs and desks and that sort of thing. And um, it's, it's like a tower of trash, basically. And I've like never gotten to the top of it, always like wake up at some point, but I've climbed very high in it. And it sort of led to like several different sort of projects I've worked on that involve towers, sort of a lifelong fascination with towers because of it.
2: Do you, so this, this tower, does it, how often does it morph? Well, for you, like, like for me, there's the same places I go, but they're always a little, they're always different. Yet it's the same place.
3: Yeah, I mean it's always different every time I have a dream about it. Um, okay, so it hasn't,
2: it's, it's not static.
3: Yeah, like from the outside it looks the same basically, um, but once I'm inside of it, like I've never like mentally mapped it out or anything or yeah, really.
2: interesting. And do you have you noted with this place any kind of? Um, synchronicity or um, maybe common thread in your waking life that when you dream of it, is there something possible that might trigger it each time from your waking
3: life? Hmm. That I'm not sure about. Um, I actually haven't dreamt about it since I've been living in uh, Minnesota, so maybe that is a clue. and, I mean, I could I could psychoanalyze it and say that it somehow sort of represents all the debris of my sort of former life there. But, yeah. Well, I just mean, as
2: soon as you do that, it'll pop up, though. I mean, I think yeah. these places cont- continue throughout our lives.
3: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I'm the kind of person who, because of my out-of-body experiences, like, I don't consider the dream world, like, to be something that is just inside my head yes so like it it, is a real place um so you know looking at it from a sort of material like psychoanalytic framework doesn't really work either at least in my i may have built it but it it exists independent of me i think
2: yeah i i think it's important to strip everything we think we know about the dream world Mm -hmm. in order to actually access it so, I mean, it's nice to play fodder and it's nice fodder for like psychological discussions and um neurological discussions and all this stuff that we have here in the outer world. But we somehow in doing that we we we're separating ourselves from it, like we do with death, you know, where we all have access and we are all valid in our access and our experiences are all different, except for we do have overlap. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Todd, ta- I want to hear about, I'm, I'm interested now, I wanted to kind of get your general le- dream scape, <laughs> which mm-hmm. it seems to be um, quite fanciful and beautiful. Um, and I, I didn't hear you say it, but I was, in the picture you painted in my head, it was very, um, the colors were there. Mm-hmm. The spectrum of colors there. Is this correct?
3: Yeah, generally my, my dreams are like, almost grotesquely colorful yeah like things are um, sort of more vivid than they are in, in waking life
2: yeah yeah and and how about audio the the
3: sound hmm i don't know i never really thought about the sound in my dreams i mean I, I don't know of it being sort of any different than than sort of waking life um, generally other people can, can communicate with me in English. Um, it's sort of, I've never had a dream in a foreign language or anything. And yeah, in general, it, it's almost indistinguishable from, you know, from waking here. Existence. Yeah. Yeah.
2: W- okay. So let's talk paralysis before we get into lucidity and OBEs. When was the first time you experienced sleep paralysis? And would you share that experience if in your memory, from your memory of it?
3: Yeah. Um, I don't remember what age I was, but it was, it was fairly young. Um, it would have been right around the time sightings was still on TV.
2: Um, when was you know, that?
3: Probably <laughs> like- I've watched so little TV in my life. <laughs> probably like 93, 94.
2: OK. So. Oh, I love that period of time.
3: Yeah, so I was, um, you know, at the time, watching like the X-Files and stuff, I was terrified of having, uh, being abducted by aliens and watching shows like Sightings and Unsolved Mysteries didn't help that fear at all. Yeah. So my my first real sleep paralysis experience that I remember, um, I actually woke up into it. Um, I woke up in bed. Um, I remember looking at my clock and seeing the time and outside like my window there were like kind of like multicolored lights that were like shining in and there was just like a hellish racket like something was like hovering over my house or something just like noise <coughs> and um i couldn't move i was totally frozen in bed and um, and this, this theme comes back, but it was like, I just hear like a great wind, like just wind rushing everywhere. And I get kind of freaked out because I notice my door is open. Um, I, I look at my bedroom door and I can see that there's like something standing like in the crack of the door. Um, it opens the door and sort of this little black figure like shuffles into my room and it moves like a like a marionette almost like a puppet like it doesn't look alive like it's sort of jangly
2: oh this is creepy
3: (laughs) and it sort of like stumbles over to my bed i can't make out any features like it's totally black and you know i'm like trying to scream but you know i can't scream it's just like you know i'm just wheezing you know and it stands right next to my bed and i can feel it like looking at me but i can't really turn to look at it And then all of a sudden, everything stops. Um, Everything goes completely back to normal. And I remember looking at the clock and seeing that like, two hours had passed. I think it was like 1 at the beginning. It was like 3 when I looked at the clock after everything ended. And being a little kid who watched the X-Files and it was like Unsolved Mysteries and everything, I immediately was convinced that I had been abducted by aliens. and it tied in with a lot of dreams I had as a kid too, where like, I remember this one really vivid dream where uh, I used to sleep in like a bunk bed with my little brother. At this point, when I had this uh, sleep paralysis experience, he had his own bedroom. Um, but before that, we, we were sharing a bunk and I was in the top bunk, he was in the bottom. And I had this like dream that I woke up and he was crying and some, he was, like, talking to something or someone, like, below me. I peeked over the edge of the bed and, like, sort of, he was, like, there was, like, a, a traditional gray alien, like, like, kind of standing there, like, talking gibberish at him. Like, it was, like, talking, but it was just, like, noise. It wasn't, like, talking in English. And he was, like, crying. He was, like, very upset. And I just got overwhelmed with like anger and and i just like jumped off the bed onto it and just like punching it and hitting it and this is something that'll come back later when we get to this other experience but i felt like i became uh, this is how i explained it to myself when i was a kid but i felt like i became a werewolf Mm. like i felt like i became like a like a beast like my felt like i grew like claws and stuff and i grabbed hold of its like eye and like peeled it off almost as if it were some sort of like like shell or like like a beetle shell
2: mm-hmm. um, and, <laughs> there's that it, beetle again
3: exactly and like it wasn't so much an eye but like on the inside where i peeled it open there were all of these like green and red like lights like stars it wasn't like it was like a robot but almost like inside of its head was like a galaxy if that makes sense like i was looking through its head into like a star field. And then I woke up. So (laughs) having having had dreams like this um, and then having this sort of missing time, lights outside my window, weird thing walking in my room at night, I became convinced that I was being abducted by aliens. And it didn't help around the same time too that the same guy who got me into the occult spent the night at my house. And the next morning, uh, you know, I, I didn't dream or anything that night. I just remember waking up Um, He told me that he woke up in the middle of the night. He had slept on the floor while I had slept on the bed in my room. Uh, He told me that he woke up in the middle of the night and I was sitting straight up in bed and sitting next to me was like a gray. And he said that I looked at him and said, It's okay, Nick, go back to sleep. And then the gray looked at him and he went back to sleep. Now, this person. I have they told me a lot of stories so i really have no idea if they were just messing with me or just saying that but all of these things combined made me terrified that i was you know experiencing something like that um it it wasn't until and i I had a few other sleep paralysis experiences but none of them as sort of fit that narrative that the first one had um I remember the sort of the second really big one that stood out in my head. I was stuck in my bed and it sounded like there was a party going on in in like my parents' house as if like I could hear like dishes clinking and and, chatter and like it sounded like there were dozens of people in the house like having like a house party or something, like a dinner party. And, you know, I can't move. I can't get up and do anything. And then while I'm laying there, um, I hear this woman's voice in Spanish speaking in my ear, and she goes, silencio, silencio. And then, like, I wake up, or, you know, <laughs> like, I get out of the sleep paralysis. Um, and
1: had you just seen um, Mulholland Drive?
3: No. I know where it actually Oh, I love came. that scene, Jerry. <laughs> I know where it actually came from at the time, but it's someone else's story, so I can't exactly tell it but i know where i got that mental image from and it was a story that someone had told me about their childhood um but so you know i i didn't know what to do about the sleep paralysis experiences i tried to tell my dad about them and he just sort of like was like yeah sometimes when i was a kid i would wake up at night and i would feel like there was something sitting on my chest you know, classic mm-hmm. sort of like hag yeah. experience. Yeah. So, you know, he had them, but he never really talked to me about them. Um, he's a very kind of closed off guy. He doesn't really talk about his emotions or his childhood or anything at all to me. Um, and to make matters worse, um, on the abduction side of things, I was watching some like made for TV movie about like hybrid children or something. Um, and like alien abduction with my mom at the time. And well, my mom at the time, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was trying to process that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um.
2: What does Rin mean here? <laughs>
3: so at one point, she looks like me dead in the eyes and says, "You know that really happens to some people, like referencing like abduction." And it was just like, you know, thanks, mom. This is exactly what I need to hear, given everything that's going on right with me right now. Um, but it it wasn't until. I'm trying to remember where I first heard about like astral projection or out of body travel. Um, honestly, don't know where I like first heard of it. Um, my my first big resource for it was actually. Uh, oh, I think I know what it is now. Um, Jerry, you probably know this. Is it Donald Michael Craig or David Michael Craig? Michael. Got her...
2: David Craig, isn't it? Michael or David Craig. Craig. Mike... Oh God! Now, that, of course, you <laughs> twisted
1: what, what did it he write, in what my head. What did he write? I don't remember.
3: Modern Magic. He wrote a book on ceremonial magic called Modern Magic. I have yeah,
2: it's he's famous. I mean, it's a yeah. It's...
3: That was like that was like my first book on the occult that I bought for like myself. Yes. And, and like worked through and stuff. And so I think he talks about astral projection at some point in it. Um, but I picked up a copy of uh, Robert Bruce's Astral Dynamics, um, which actually was like very much. You know a lot of older spiritualists especially like the stuff the golden dawn stuff or stuff and in, inherited from victorian spiritualism mm-hmm. um it sort of treats astral travel as this very broke like complicated thing and yes. it wasn't until i read um bruce's astral dynamics that i was like oh actually it's a lot simpler than these people are making it out to be and you don't have to worry about your silver chain and yes like, yeah cl- cleansing yourself before you do it <laughs> everything so um from reading But
2: in that, Ren, uh-huh. there is a certain there is a, a certain I always just took out of that because it that was all cumbersome. But I did take out there is a certain, they're setting you up for the fact that it's real. Mm-hmm. It's really real. And there are dangers therein. Yeah. There there's certainly I in my experience because it's not just you, <laughs> it's everyone.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and I, thing, I'll,
2: I'll- everything.
3: <laughs> I'll talk about some uh, encounters later um, Yes. to get back to some stuff. But so Robert Bruce's book sort of taught me how to have my first willful sort of out-of-body experience. Um, and I still remember like the first time, like I sort of halfway did it, like I could feel my my arm rising, even though my arm wasn't rising, you know, like I realized at yes. that point that <sighs> sort of this... The sleep paralysis state that I experience is like the precursor to that, you know. And I was like, "Oh, this is actually a blessing because it's easy for me to have sleep paralysis experiences, so it's going to be easy for me to have OBEs." And yeah, I still remember that like that first time I did it, I felt like I was falling through my bed, like I imagined myself like falling over and over and over again, and kept doing it until I could really feel it. Mm -hmm. And then I really did just like fall through my bed
0: Mm -hmm.
3: you know and like that first time you sort of float around your room like a ghost is is absolutely amazing even though it didn't last very long I I immediately like flew through my door and like went to my parents room and like I, I I jumped around on the bed or at least imagined I was jumping around the bed and was like wake up wake up wake up can you see me can you see me and then I remember my mom's like eyes like opened and she like looked at me and then I got really embarrassed that I had like I wasn't out of body and then I had just like went into their room at night and was like jumping around on the (laughs) bed and that made me snap back into my body
2: did she did you did you talk to her about that was there any communication about that later
3: I think I did but she didn't remember anything
2: yeah oh that's interesting though that she Mm -hmm. looked at you
3: yeah I think That's something, I don't know, my theory about this is that sometimes people are also either out of body, or like they see you, but they don't, they're not seeing you with their conscious mind. Yes. So they don't really remember it. Yes. Like I've had out of body experiences where I like saw and talked to my little brother, um, even though he was asleep at the time as well. So, Yeah. and he didn't remember it, so.
2: Did okay, so so move from this kind of layer where you've just now gotten to the point where you you're stretching your astral body, or you've you've been around your room and your house mm-hmm. to now full on OBEs.
3: So I first started to realize that like you know, I had these like kind of initial little travels around like my local area you know like mm-hmm. I go outside and I would fly up into the air and they'd get really sick to my stomach you know I'm not really afraid of heights but when you all of a sudden jump 100 feet into the air um it makes your stomach drop no matter how comfortable yeah
2: if there's a visceral experience <laughs> it really is true yeah
3: and I started to realize that like at least my local area um once I started to stray out of that area, it would shift from being like, I guess the real world, if you want to use that term, to more sort of like dreamlands. You know, I would start kind of going to places that I knew didn't exist, or at least didn't exist in material reality. You know, like I would, um, I don't know. I, there's there's a good example of this happening uh, recently that I could talk about please do so my most recent out of about experiences uh, just a few weeks ago I um I went out of body and my apartment was the same and knowing what was going on and being ready for it I immediately just like ran down the hallway and I just like took a running leap through my roof or through my ceiling and I felt like I was because there are apartments above me and I felt like I was going through them like I was going through them um, but when I got to the roof, um, I wasn't any longer in like the area of my apartment. Um, I was all of a sudden somewhere completely different. I was like somewhere it like the Pacific Northwest or something. Um, or at least what I imagined the Pacific Northwest to look like. And that's always been my experience with, with OBEs. The minute you sort of leave... The area that your mind can comfortably reconstruct from memory, like, you start shifting into somewhere else. And maybe it's a lucid dream, but, you know, again, I don't think these things are all in your head, so. Mm-hmm.
2: So, well, actually, would you speak more? I, for some reason, I thought there was going to be more there. Um, will you speak more to that idea of when you get out of where your brain actually is able to fill in the blanks with familiar mm-hmm. stuff that's familiar from waking life, um, and when you truly get astral and you're experiencing fantastical stuff that is, you know, it's far out. Mm-hmm. How how do you experience that, and and maybe tie in your experience with others that you encounter, other beings, other people, whatever, whatever you want to, yeah, throw in there.
3: So, <clears throat> yeah, I do. I was going to say I don't typically come across other beings that often, but now that I think about it, almost every time I do, um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: like one one. I vivid find experience. they're always there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're always kind of lurking about. Uh, I mean, like the most vivid sort of early experience of this, um, I had a spontaneous OBE uh, when I was probably like 22 or something, 21, 22. And I floated through the roof of this uh, place I was staying at that night. And I immediately was, was like somewhere else. Um, it looked like a kind of like a park to me. Like they were like a, kind of a wooded area, trees and stuff, uh, but it looked maintained and there was like a path. And like slowly gliding down this path, like we're like cars that had all of their lights turned off and we're just like slowly driving down this path. So I, I kept going down the path and I, I ran into sort of this guy sitting on a bench. And at first he didn't see me and I like kind of called out to him. Um, because I was interested in knowing if he could see me or hear me and I you know honestly didn't think he would because this is like my first time encountering something other than me and it like surprised me when he like turned into me like looked at me and his like eyes got really wide and Mm. he like took off into the air like he flew away and I was like oh my God, he's like somebody else that's doing this. Like, yes. I've got to like, I've, I've got to talk to him. Like, I've got to ask him. And I was like, wait, wait. And like, I was like, I started chasing him and that only made it worse. Like he kept going faster and faster and I couldn't catch up to him. And he like, oh, wow. And that was- You were his nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, I've always thought about like, what did I look like to this guy that scared him so bad? You're right. <laughs> and, um, oh, go ahead. No,
2: no, no. It's incredible is all is what I wanted to say.
3: Yeah, and I like there's, I've talked about this in some other shows too, but like I remember one like sort of vivid encounter with sort of the the, the beastlies that lurk. Um, I had an out-of-body experience and I I wanted to go somewhere else, but I, I didn't want to go to like dreamlands. I wanted to like go somewhere physical in, in like base reality. Mm-hmm. So I I um, Robert Monroe talks about the way this feels, and and maybe you've experienced this too, but like when you're in the out-of-body state, like you're not limited by time and space. Like you can travel anywhere instantly, anywhere in the universe. So I, but it feels like you're twisting, like your whole being is like twisting and, and like expanding and it's like a rubber band, like you snap into the other place.
2: Yes, like you snap back into your body it's Mm -hmm. like that whole kind of that snap thing's a big deal or at least it is for me
3: yeah it it feels like you're like twisting and then sort of snapping into the other place Mm -hmm. and so I went to my my like dad's house where like I grew up and I like sort of materialized in the backyard um everything looked normal it didn't look dreamy like it looked like reality um Mm -hmm. I remember it was like early morning which was consistent with what time it was supposed to be and um there was sort of like wind in, in the trees and stuff. It was very, it was very realistic. I'll put it that way. And <clears throat> I looked, I could kind of see down into the driveway and I saw my cat that lives with my dad. He, I guess my dad's cat now, but it used to be my cat. And he was walking like kind of up into the neighbor's driveway. He likes to lurk around at night. So I wanted to see if he could see me. It's so like I flew down and was like, hey, 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 you know, like trying to get his attention. He couldn't see me he didn't notice me at all um but as i'm doing this i like sort of in my periphery start to see like shapes like shadows moving and i noticed that like we're being circled by this like sort of pack of like shadowy dogs um i mean i say dogs but they're like the size of like buffalo like they're these enormous shadowy dogs oh my and i Like, I felt like they were stalking him, but now they noticed me, and now they were stalking me, and um, I just got really indignant about it. Like, it didn't scare me at all, and I was just like, I started laughing about it, and I was like, I was like, you guys don't scare me, and I just, like, waved my hand at one of them, and it just blew away, like, into dust. Oh, that's great. That's excellent. All the others just ran away. Like, they didn't want none of it.
2: There's, um... Yeah. I like your, I like this sense of will that you seem to possess, um, in these altered states or alter alternate realities. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's, you know, just that scenario alone, there are ways you could have gone, like these shadowy Mm -hmm. figures could have been very scary. And Mm -hmm. then the minute you present fear, then, you know, they feed off of that, of course, as you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, it would have been a different scenario. So that's that says a lot about you, Ren.
3: <laughs> well, it's just it's very frustrating when I see people talk about shadow people when they're having like sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, like in particular, have you seen that documentary, The Nightmare, about people that are suffering from sleep paralysis?
2: No, but I need to be linked that.
3: It's uh-huh. it's a really amazing documentary, and a, a lot of the people in it they do like these reenactments. But every almost every person who has a sleep paralysis experience sees like these like shadowy figures or shadow yeah, people.
2: Yeah, it's very common. It's pro- I think it's almost always there.
3: Yeah, and, and they're all completely terrified out of their minds by it. And I uh, there's one guy in particular who actually has a full blown out of body experience. He remembers looking back and seeing his body. He even sees his like silver chain, which I've never actually seen. And he um like is sort of approached by a hat man like shadowy figure and and like his two little henchmen and they tell him to get back in his body and he gets so scared that he does it um and that's it just frustrates me to no end because i'm like i'm like dude those are the dwellers at the threshold like they're 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 your test you know they're, they're testing you you just tell them to fuck off and they'll leave you alone but people are so terrified of it and i try to explain to people that in sort of the imaginary realm in the dreamlands like your only currency is your imagination and your willpower yes <laughs> like it doesn't matter how physically strong you are it doesn't matter how emotionally strong you are it's, it's all about like your imagination and your confidence and if you feel confident and, and you have a greater imagination than something else like you'll win and and that's a lot of people don't realize these things are just um you know, they're just shadows. They don't have imaginations. You do. You're a human being, and you have an imagination. You can be anything you want to be. There.
1: Not to mention, they're part of your subconscious.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, some of them might be. Um,
2: I I think that's up for debate. I don't, I don't yeah, want to
3: get too solid I, in that. I've I've come across some things that I don't think. Like, I mean, Jerry, I told you about this one. I, I'll recount it for the show. But uh, I had a recent. I've never come across anything in an out-of-body state that I couldn't handle. The dog things, like whatever. Shadow people, other entities, like whatever. Nothing's ever like tussled with me, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, a couple of months ago now, I had this experience where I was I was going to sleep. Um, I was lying on my side in bed and I started to feel like the sleep paralysis come on. Like I could hear the like sort of rushing wind and the buzzing in my body, like the vibrations. Mm-hmm. And, um, something happened that I'd never had happen to me before uh, aside from the lady whispering to me, but I heard like someone in the room behind me, like talking and and saying things and I couldn't understand what they were saying at first, but I felt like I wanted to get up and like, look and see who it was. Um, And then I heard this like woman's voice say like, no, don't get up, stay here, stay here with me. And I felt something crawl into bed with me. Like I literally felt (laughs) felt the bed like, you know, squish down, and I felt this body, like, slide in behind me and, like, put its arm around me. Oh. And, like, <laughs> I immediately, like, was like, hell no, we're not doing this. <laughs> I would have been, girl, please. <sighs> was not, I, no. because You know, things don't normally scare me in that state, but that, like, legitimately kind of spooked me. Yeah, on,
2: it's very creepy.
3: Because it was so realistic. Mm-hmm. So I, I immediately got up but instead of getting up in my physical body i got up in my you know sublime body or whatever you want to call it my energy yes. body yes yes so um i before i could turn around and see what it was i felt like something jump on my back and oh. apparently this is a common thing like it's even called like you have a well a witch riding your back right the yeah.
2: hag riding it's called yeah. hag riding
3: yeah yeah, and see, I, I'd never heard of ha- I'd heard about like hags sitting on chest, but I would never heard of a hag writing before. So mm-hmm. yeah, this this thing jumped on my back. Uh and it felt like it just glommed on. Like I couldn't, I was like I was like reaching behind me and like clawing at it and like wrestling with it. And um I started trying to think, like I was sort of stumbling around the room wrestling with this thing, and I, I started thinking, like, well, what do people usually do in this situation? And you know I've I've heard about people like praying to God or like praying to Christ and making it go away so I I was like you know in the name of Christ I compel you to like get back whatever and it didn't do anything because mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't really believe in, in Jesus yeah I think
2: that you have to actually
3: believe what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's yeah.
2: some sort of conviction
3: <laughs> yeah so it didn't work and I was like okay well what do we do now I gotta get this thing off of me Um. so I was like well just believe in myself and I said I abjure you like I tell you to get my yes. Ooh, and that good. worked <laughs> so i i felt it like, kind of peel off like i was peeling off an octopus and i threw it onto the bed and that's exactly what it looked like it looked like um just this lumpy black mass of like tentacles Ugh.
1: those the, um, are the energy vampires in the fourth dimension
3: yeah that's well totally it's, yeah with that, that people
1: moment. can see them on other people too some people
3: yeah can. I mean, maybe it was trying to, to make me a host or something. I don't know. But, oh, you yeah, were look, a host.
1: <laughs> so you <laughs> got rid whatever of it. time yeah. that
3: was, yeah. Yeah, it just looked like, a, you know, like I said, it just looked like a lumpy black mass of tentacles. And then I, I got so angry because nothing had ever messed with me like that mm-hmm. in an out-of-body state. Nothing ever, that effectively. Nothing had ever, like, wrestled with me before like that. So I, I just got so angry. And I was just like, how dare this thing? Mm-hmm. How dare this thing do this to me? And I I sort of had that same feeling. I remember I talked before about how like I became a werewolf in that dream where I mm-hmm. attacked the gray. That's sort of like how I felt, like I felt like I was becoming a beast. And I can actually see like I normally don't see like my hands or body when I'm in and out of body state, but I, I could see sort of like my hands growing in these large claws. And I felt like I was becoming, you know, huge and beastly. And I just grabbed it and started ripping it apart and I started eating it. Like I just like, oh, opened my mouth and started just shoving it down <laughs> my mouth. And like, cause I was like, I'm going to devour this thing. Like this thing isn't coming back from this, you know, it's not yeah. going to escape.
0: In yeah. a
1: way too, you've recovered the energy that it took from
3: you by eating it.
2: and yeah. And then some, yeah. <laughs> all its energy.
3: <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I somehow like instinctively knew that's what I should be doing, but I still remember the way it felt in my, like my mm. mouth, even though I didn't, wasn't physically eating this thing, but it like, um it felt like it's like a like a spandex ball filled with sand oh like it was like gritty and I just like shoved it all down my throat and like ate it and then I was like okay well that's done so let's go explore the dreamlands (laughs) like went off (laughs) went off and had some explorations but yeah like I you know that that's the only time I've ever had something attack me that I felt like uh you know, it, it took more than just like a wave of my hand to make it go away. But even then, it's like, maybe it you, would have if I if it hadn't jumped on my back and scared me so bad to begin no, with. I don't right. think those
1: things are very uh, smart. So, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't look at it as a personal attack.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, it was interesting because like a couple weeks before that, I had had another out-of-body experience uh, in the same room. And during it, I had noticed there was this, like kind of tentacled orby mass hovering near my bed Um, but it didn't feel like malicious and I sort of just left it alone I was like living let live you know it wasn't trying to scare me it was just I thought maybe because sometimes you know when you I feel like when you have these experiences like you kind of light up like a beacon and things like start coming to check you out and like see mm-hmm. what's going on yes I agree uh,
1: only if you let that light up.
2: <laughs> it's kind I of i don't know it seems like something you can't control in a weird way
3: oh, really? like heard,
2: a, a light's turned on like it's like an your inner flame whatever that is
3: i've heard people say the same about doing like occult rituals and stuff like it sort of makes you light up on the sort of dreamlands you know like you become mm-hmm. like a magically light up yeah magically light up mm-hmm. so You know, I I just figured maybe it was something just checking me out, seeing what was going on, you know? And if it wasn't threatening me or making some sort of posture, I wasn't going to mess with it. So I just left it alone and went exploring. And I I sort of wonder if it was the same thing. Like maybe it was scoping me out and maybe- How long ago was this, Ren? uh, This is, I had to look at the date on Twitter. A
1: month ago or two months ago? It was recent. It's it's
0: really recent? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh
3: my goodness
2: Uh uh-huh that's interesting i just thought of an
1: interesting analog too for the lighting up if you remember in uh, american gods when shadow's wife saw him after she was dead
2: yes yes Mm -hmm. that kind of that Mm -hmm. is a good that is good jerry absolutely Uh, it's interesting that this was a recent thing so ren is prolific with this stuff advanced definitely advanced and since the uh, the big eclipse and in this recent um, period oh, you... of time we're in yeah. that he would encounter, that this would happen. is very significant.
1: Well, there was the moon thing, too.
2: Right, and the moon, right, well, the eclipse, yeah. No, that, that I...
1: the his moon thing.
2: Oh, that's right, the lunar right, right? The yeah.
1: In, initiation of the spheres. Yeah,
3: yeah I, I did a lunar initiation uh several months ago, and one of the, um I, I called on Hecate, and one of the things I asked her to do, and I made a talisman for it and stuff, was that uh, she increased like my ability to see into the astral and like give me more out of body experiences? And that's panned out. I've had a lot. I've had more out of body experiences in the last like probably three or four months than I've, I've had in years. Like yeah,
2: if you yeah. ask it, it if you're sincere and you ask and you go through those motions, mm-hmm.
1: dude, it was it from happened. that killer table
3: you made. Oh yeah, I made <laughs> a table of practice to yeah. do that. It's, spent weeks working on it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Thank you. S-
2: so, do you? I think you mentioned this earlier and I think that I think that was pretty much the answer. But so you don't experience or haven't encountered um dead people that you've known in, in waking life.
3: Not that I know of. I don't think I've ever had a dream or encountered in and out of body experience anyone that I know that has died.
2: Okay. And then also you you touched on this, but I want a little more depth on it. Um Prophetic stuff or dreaming true—is this something that you experience more often than that
3: than the the Mall of America experience? No, as far as I know, that is I think the only sort of prophetic dream I've ever had. Um, I, if there were others, I, I've had a lot of like synchronicity and thing happen, uh, synchronistic kind of things happen. But you know, everyone has those. Um, but in terms of actually having like a, a honestly prophetic dream. I think that's the only example that I can think of.
2: That's this, that's solid. I mean, that's a, that's a dead hit. So that's good. Um, and what about. Yeah. Okay. So deja vu, what's your experience Mm -hmm. of it and how does it tie into all of this?
3: I do have a lot of deja vu and sometimes I wonder if I've, I, I get like this gut feeling that I've dreamed about this before but I don't remember it. You know, like I don't remember the dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: At that point, it's impossible to tell too. It's impossible to tell, did I have a dream about this or am I just imagining?
1: Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I just thought of something too. Uh, right now. The, the The deja vu experience compared with, um, uh, uh, synch- uh, do they occur around synchronicities or is there any correlation between the two?
3: generally no um most of my synchronistic stuff usually goes with like a theme yeah um like i i start writing a short story about a place called uh saint valencia and then i'm riding in the car with a friend and they put on an album um that i've never heard before and one of the songs they're singing about a, uh, like a town called valencia <laughs> it's like that kind of thing
1: Yeah, Uh, that's so great. (laughs) Like the day you guys said you're going to do the moon thing, and I get in my car, and the song Luna comes up, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like that kind of thing. It's never like prophetic, really. Just like, huh? It's like, uh, it's like this idea was apparently in my head, yes, uh, prior to me like hearing about it.
2: So, all right, what do you what do you make of what? What do you think is actually going on in when you're out of body? Wh- what's that state of being, in, in balance with this state of being? What, which seems? What's the difference between them?
3: Hmm. Well, I've got a, I got several ideas about that. I guess I, I don't know if any of them are true. They're just hunches. I, I tend to to follow really closely to sort of the same ideas that Robert Monroe has mm-hmm. about. The out of body state, um, I do think it's some sort of non local consciousness, but I think where people maybe mess up is to to maybe not remember that it's not only non local, but it's non temporal as well. Like it's it's one aspect of you. <laughs> Let that truck up. I so yeah, yeah. So like sorry. it's okay. <laughs> so when you have sort of a dream or an out-of-body experience, and this is sort of similar to the Jane Roberts-Seth stuff, like you're experiencing that through an aspect of, you know, the er you um, and the life you're living now. It, I sort of like imagine each human existence as sort of like this enormous octopus in the imaginal. And each life you live is like one of its feelers or tentacles. Like it's like... It's like a, yeah, it's like a feeler and it's feeling into the real world. Um, but each individual life that you live and each sort of dream that you have or life that you're living now, it isn't the true you, it's just a feeler. It's a probe examining reality. Um, and I feel like
1: In a way that's almost a simulation.
3: I mean, I suppose it's like—it's
1: like, it's like t- t- uh, putting God, put your toes in the water, you know, testing the temperature.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: it's a, it's like you say it's remote viewing, even.
3: Yeah, it's almost like each person. And maybe this is out of more kind of out of the scope of what you're asking, but I, I guess while we have a consciousness that's inhabiting each of our bodies that is non-local it's just one part of some kind of greater consciousness that is made up of all the lives that you've lived and that you're going to live because in these places uh, you know outside of our material world that we live in right now thing concepts like time don't make any sense you know there is no before or after there
2: right so when you say the the greater you what what is that
3: like I think it's like a it's some kind of ex okay so I'll try to I'll put this literally because I think I'm coming off like a lunatic here but let's just Not say
1: at it's all. Like,
3: you <laughs> aren't so don't worry about it it's very hard to put this into words but like I I feel like it's some kind of extra dimensional entity that is an amalgamation of all the lived experiences in your kind of personal timeline, like past lives and future lives, because where it lives, all of those things are happening at the same time. There is no past or future. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think kind of like your life here. Is it gaining experience? Like like Robert Monroe talked about this sort of that each person's life, like basically everyone's soul came from somewhere else. Like, you know, they're not, nobody's native to earth. And that you're basically on earth, living in the life that you're living right now as a way of like learning about earthly existence and like learning about life in the physical world because where these things come from or where these souls come from, um, they don't have any concepts like time, material, like matter and, cause they're just, you know, it's totally outside of that frame of reference. Um, and it's, it's not just that you're like, I think that's what people like think about, you know, they're worried about reincarnation because okay, well, if you're reincarnated, Like, and you don't remember who you used to be, then it's just like dying normally anyways. Um, I think what people don't realize is that your personality right now and your life right now, it's just one aspect of some sort of greater personality that exists sort of outside of time and space, if that makes sense at all
2: makes a lot of sense and i could easily um i could see it you the way you described it too you painted it well it, with with this idea too which you answered it kind of um derails my a little bit my um where i like to take the show at the end before we take questions is on thoughts about death mm-hmm. and that is a state of consciousness and also a process of consciousness um and so with you answering this greater picture i think then now it's like come back come back here and um paint paint the idea of death now the process of it and what you think is going on there
3: um honestly i i kind of feel like my experience of death is is going to be a lot like having a body experience i mean from people that I know that have had near-death experiences, it sounds just like, and my out-of-body experiences. Um, I think people are conscious when it's going on, and you know, plenty of people say that when they're having an indie, like they can see people around them and and you know, see things in the local environment. Like, remember when I said at the very beginning about how I was like so afraid of death? Yes. So, what changed that for me? was when when I was a teenager, um, I never had any, like, grandparents. All my grandparents were, like, dead before I was even born, aside from uh, one grandmother who I I didn't have a great relationship with. But I did have a really close relationship with my great uncle, um, who was kind of the closest to a grandfather I had. So when I was a teenager, he was dying of throat cancer. Uh, He was sort of on his deathbed in this, like, trailer out in rural Talladega uh and he was like breathing through like a tracheotomy hole in his neck and that kind of thing um we i guess we knew that like the time was close like we didn't know that he was you know about to die but we knew that he was very very ill and that you know he may not be around much longer um and he was totally out of it at this point too i mean he was basically in his deathbed he didn't he wasn't conscious so we we went out there on uh, one weekend um to see him um Kind of pay our last respects, I guess. And we went out there and we all kind of stood around his bed. And it's like this hospital bed that was like in the in one of the rooms in the trailer. Uh, you know, sort of looked at him. Um, you know, he, he wasn't conscious, so he couldn't respond or anything. And kind of everyone went back to the living room. And I wanted to go outside because, um, you know, I'd been to this place like a lot. It was like a blueberry farm. And I'd been there a lot when I was when I was a kid. So I wanted to kind of just like walk around. Uh, specifically there was this boat in the backyard um this boat i'd never seen this boat in water it was like completely old and like rusted and stuff i don't think this boat had been in a lake in like 30 years but it was always there and i walk around the back of the trailer and I'm by myself and i see the boat and standing on the bow is like the biggest like crow i've ever seen and the crow sort of like looks at me And we have this, like, kind of moment between us where, like, its eyes were, like, intelligent. Like, it was looking at me. And after we stood there for a moment, like, looking at each other, the crow flew off. So I went back inside. And without really thinking why I was doing this, I went back to the room that my great uncle was in. And... I was, like, standing there looking at him for a minute. And then I noticed that something was different. And, like, I leaned in and, like, heard that he wasn't breathing anymore. Like, he had passed away in, like, Mm. the the five minutes that I'd been outside. (laughs) And to have, like, such a vivid, like, psychopompic experience like that, Mm -hmm. that completely changed, like, my view on, like, what death is. Because, like, I knew in my heart that like that crow was either him or was taking him Mm -hmm. away. You know. And after that I pretty much (laughs) was never scared of death again. Because like that was sort of an uh Oh
2: that's that's profound.
3: It's sort of the veil lifting moment for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah that's um that's uh, I don't know. You've just been one incredible story after another tonight, Ren. That's moving. It gave me chills when you were speaking about it.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, honestly, like I've never talked about that experience in any other shows or anything, and then to still even to this day, I feel like that's the most profound sort of experience I've ever had.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. It's again, I. I can't. I can't get away from this sense with you of wanting. There's so much you've given here that I. I want to see in kind of like two D or three D art forms, because as you're talking about this and the crow and the image of your uncle, and you. Are, i I'm, It's right. Maybe it's the way you're communicating it. It's all like a movie moving through my head, but in a Dada type movie. <laughs> um, yeah. There is no. I feel like there's no reason to be afraid of death especially once you actually get outside your body Mm -hmm. so okay this was a question i had earlier and i want to get to it i i thought about it in post horus but i think it's relevant here so and it's kind of personal so feel free to just tell me to f off um Mm -hmm. and so because you, there's such clarity and so much experience here that with your dream experience, are you? do you take any kind of like medication at all, like drugs, um, like for depression or all that, the SSRIs or whatever the hell they're called?
3: Um, um, uh, no, um, I was briefly on SSRIs. Um, God, it was probably like sometime last year.
2: Did it um, affect your experience?
3: yes in that i don't remember ever dreaming while i was on them and i that's what i'm
2: saying yeah
3: yeah <laughs> i mean well, i i don't want to necessarily it's, i mean some people i think really benefit from them but i think course. that they really weren't for me and i had things that i needed to deal with some other way
2: yeah yeah I'm not I'm not in any way looking down my nose at them um, mm-hmm. and I think I know lots of people that they have saved saved their lives so mm-hmm. I'm just talking in context to how it affects the dreamscape and the ability to have dreams and then lucid experiences and remember them.
3: yeah I mean they completely sort of change both my personality uh, like my, my sex life, my dreamscape like, and that, that's why I stopped taking them because yeah. they just weren't the right chemical fit for me. Now, on the other hand, um, I have experimented well, I take melatonin frequently yeah. at night when yep, I but that's different. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do have more vivid dreams when I take melatonin, I found. Mm-hmm. Like um I usually I take a lot of melatonin. Most <laughs> people just take one, um, but I usually take like fifty grams or so Mm -hmm. or milligrams or however many it's like five of the the pills that are in the bottle Um, and it knocks me out and it makes me have crazy dreams Um, like just the other night uh, I took some to go to sleep and I had like uh, nine distinct dreams uh, that were all like sort of in different places different stories and I remembered all of them when I woke up and I like immediately like opened up my iPhone and like recorded like, you know, just did a voice record of like all of those dreams and everything I remembered from them because it was so vivid. Wow. Um, And I've done a little bit, a little bit of experimentation with a glantamine, um, which is a, uh, it's a uh, Alzheimer's drug. Um, Although you can get the sort of non-prescription strength, like herbal version of it um, on the internet. And Uh, you just have to take it in the right dosage. Um, It's interesting. I'd read about it somewhere that it was useful for inducing like sort of out of body states. And it 100% definitely makes it easier to have sleep paralysis. Like when I would experiment taking doses of galantamine before going to sleep, uh, excuse me, before going to sleep, I would have, um, I would have sleep paralysis pretty much each time, but it was, different and in sort of a weird way it's hard to like the out-of-body experience i had after taking galantamine was a bit different than any other out-of-body experience i've had otherwise like i all i remember from the experience is feeling like i was like falling backwards through like a tunnel and there were all these like pipes and light like it's like the walls had pipes on them so was falling through some kind of like shaft and there were um like sort of multicolored lights everywhere uh and that's all i remember Wow. So it was it was almost like too strong you know it was like and you know it, i guess if someone really has trouble getting into that state that they need to have an out-of-body experience it, it might be useful um but well, I, it just makes me curious to try it to try it yeah <laughs> like just to try it you, you can try it but um i guess just be warned that it it may be a little overkill yeah
2: i don't have any problem in this department so it's mm-hmm. I probably won't. Have you heard of C60? I haven't. It's, um, Cliff Hyde is really talking about it a lot and I, I take it and I, I can tell you it's carbon stabilized through like a two week centrifuge process in, mm-hmm. and oils. Like I, I get mine in olive oil mm-hmm. and, um, and it's for like longevity. They're talking longevity with it and it's for all the bridge to, um, making your temple your body a stronger healthier thing athletes use it and um however the crazy side effect for me who is already a prolific dreamer has been that it is it's put my dream world into turbo boost Hmm. and and i was reading some um I was reading some feedback from other people, and, and a lot of people, ironically enough, don't want to dream. They're just—they have—they're just not able to deal with whatever the content is, and um, and so they have found that to be a terrible side effect, and and you know, and then stop taking C60 for all of its wonderful benefits. Um, so ch- check into that, like just check into C60, and I recommend listening to Cliff High talk about it, and then also another thing I discovered along the way is potato starch and um one can mix that in water before bed mm-hmm. and again i'm like misorganic, um but one so one can mix that in water before bed and it, it truly does work it's it's absolutely amazing or you can you know boil your potatoes and you can i don't I wouldn't do, myself, I wouldn't do this, but you can, you know, eat up on some potato right before you go to bed.
3: I I wonder if that's because it's a nightshade. Because, um... um,
2: Right, right, because it is in the nightshade family, tomatoes and belladonna and all that.
3: Yeah, because remember I was talking earlier about Benadryl? Mm -hmm. Like, diphenhydramine hydrochloride, the, the active ingredient in Benadryl, is also a member of sort of the Jimson weed...
0: Like yes. It's
3: like, it's an atropine alkaloid. And so right. I wonder if it has sort of the same effect.
2: I, I had assumed it is probably, I had made this connection as well. And, but I, all I'm saying is definitively, it has definitely worked for me in the past. I, since I like to intermittent fast as you do, I mm-hmm. don't like to take anything a few hours before I go to bed. So I get the sleep time before and after. And it's just easy to have a nice fast. Mm-hmm. Without much worry, so I stopped doing that. But fortunately, C60 came into my life, hmm. which I can't. A, like I can't. What, pardon me.
3: Oh, uh, what? What actually is it? Is it like cannabis oil or something? Or no, it's
2: it's actual carbon that has been stabilized in an oil, and somehow the process of stabilizing the carbon, the carbon through um, a centrifuge somehow transforms it I'm I'm not exactly a hundred percent I cannot go on about the science that I don't know I'm huh. a layman but that's what I'm saying seek out like cliff high this if you just type in carbon c60 but if you go c60 and cliff high you're going to get that little extra that cliff brings to the table okay. and um and then I I found you know I I looked up what what I what I wanted, and I got in. There's some expensive stuff out there, but there are also people doing it in the same method, and it's um, it's cheaper, and it's just the same. I've tried both, and um, it takes like what I get takes two weeks to order. They do they make it to order, so I order it, and they they centrifuge it, and I get it within in like three weeks. But I mean, that's an, I'm, and no one's paying me for this. That's why I'm not giving brands or anything. It's changed my life. It's changed. And in specific to this show, it's changed my dream life
3: how does it change your dreams i mean do you have just more lucidity or more vividness i
2: um i don't know if it's because it's actually helping my physical body in in really profound ways
3: mm-hmm. but
2: i have more actual clarity yes lucidity is always there but i'm not always clear in lucidity yeah. and so i think the experiences um and i'm not one to have anxiety dreams although they they have happened and they will happen. And they can happen, of course.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there's a quality that seems more like I could stay. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. Um, there's a quality like I could, I feel like, I feel like I'm on a bridge in a weird way that I'm able, like it's hemisyncing me, my brain or somehow. I don't know Rin, how to describe it. Um, and I'm, te- of course, listen to me, I'm terrible at, describing things like this this is why I write poetry um Uh but I would be curious if you try it to hear your interpretation because you are very clear in these kinds of um ways
3: yeah I'd love to try it I mean so
2: I'll send you a link to where I get what I get mine so you can at least see that and um in that way it's you know it's offline it's not like I'm pushing that um but do you do your work Your
3: homework. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, anything that, see, like, I I consider dreaming like a profound technology. Yes. anything that helps sort of enable that to work more effectively, I'm down for. Because there's something, like, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this. Something that I have been kind of obsessed with recently is finding stories of people who have uh, experience time dilation in their dreams. Like that they've, uh, you know, had a dream that seemed like it lasted weeks or days. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, like, have you ever experienced that?
2: Yes. Yeah. Often throughout my life. Huh. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my dream life is so off the hooks. That's why I'm always, my whole life I've been talking to people about dreams and trying to, I'm I'm just still trying to understand Mm -hmm. You know, and so I went through I've gone through all the routes. So I mean, I I went through the whole union thing trying to get some more insight. What I have found from everyone Mm -hmm. in the, the Monroe Institute, all this stuff is that in the end, nobody has the game on it. Right. We're all, we all have this experience. We all have access to it. And I haven't found anyone that is exactly, you know, you can't say, well, uh, the dream world is over here on the corner of, you know, bullshit and, and reality street, you know, these streets Mm -hmm. over here, that angle. And, uh, um, so, that's where I keep, that's why I keep talking to people and I'm, I, I'm more, I'm open to people across the board because it's putting, it's bringing in, um, I'm, I'm slowly putting together an idea of what it, that is to me, that world. And the time thing where I've been in dreams, where I felt like lifetimes, like there was one, I lived a whole life and I came back, and I was extremely upset. I felt like I had been taken away from a life I really loved. I thought I was living that life in this dream that was like, you know, mm-hmm. who knows how long in our waking life it was. It could have been 15 minutes, Ren. It could have been two. Mm-hmm. And um, and it could have been an eight hour sleep cycle. I don't know. Um, it's unlikely. Mm-hmm. However, I it was so vivid and so real that this felt like where I came after I died in that. So I died, I had a whole life and I died and I, I woke up back in my life here.
3: Yeah, it makes me wonder if that that is literally true. If, if we're that, bouncing
2: back and forth.
3: Yeah, if that was literally another life that you led or one, yeah. of, your, one of your, you know, like I said about the feelers, like that was yes. one of the feelers' existences.
2: Well, the thing that made that dream interesting was when, especially looking back at it now, I couldn't. I couldn't Of course, it would be this way too, because I live, I'm always attracted to things kind of old things. So 1890s, 1920s, and then stuff older. So it's hard to, if you were like to pop up at my house as a dream person here, you wouldn't maybe not know what era you're in because there's such a saturation of era here and it's not modern. And um, so that dream in particular, I was trying to pinpoint time, and it was like this, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. I I, I couldn't tell you if it was 1980s, 2000, um, you know, 1880s, there was no sense of an era, which also is strange. And then now that I think about it, you know, when I, when I do think about it, it's like, it's all like, um, my life that I've lived is niche. Like the earlier life is all kind of dreamy, right? How your Mm -hmm. past is somehow faded, but there are markers, you know mm-hmm. that you can remember, so mm-hmm. it has it's gone that route, and so yeah, it's fascinating. I would have thought you to have had these big time
3: type dreams. I have one time, and that's why I'm so fascinated with it. Um, when I was we in share high school. it, yeah, I, I was in high school at the time, and I had a dream that lasted at least what subjectively seemed like two or so weeks. Mm-hmm. And I um in the dream was a some sort of nomad in the desert. And I was mm-hmm. like, there were a lot of camels and I was with a group of people and we were traveling kind of across the desert and you know at night we were we would, you know, sort of travel. Um we had all these like kind of tents and yurts and stuff that we would sleep in. Oh, I loved that. And you know, it, it didn't seem like modern time at all. Seemed, yeah. But then again, you know, who who am I to say that it wasn't modern? time or that it wasn't maybe the future I, I really don't know um, the only thing I, I guess I can say is that I, I wasn't me as I know me right now yes uh, like I was living a completely different life mm-hmm. um, and yeah I mean I remember like day to day going to sleep at night like waking up and sort of living this whole other life and I remember waking up and just feeling completely like exhausted like, you know, just blown away. Like, I, like, wow, I was in that for two weeks, you know?
1: It's like you were playing Roy.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the idea of that fascinates me because I'm like, what if we could control that? Yes. Like, yes. What if you could put yourself <laughs> in a lucid dream state and then say, okay, this is this dream is going to last three years. Mm-hmm. And, and then like i don't know do research think of all the books you could read in three years you know even though you know i've heard people say it's hard to read things in an out-of-body state I, i've never actually tried to read anything in a dream so I don't we've know. had
2: we've had plenty of people that say they read just fine hmm.
3: on yeah. the show yeah i can't remember ever like reading anything in a dream but you know what i'm saying like what if we could somehow harness that aspect of the like dream technology as it were
2: I agree. I what think if it's we're already been harnessed. I, yeah. Well, there's that, and, and that comes is. back to that whole freedom aspect that you touched on in the very beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, apparently humans don't necessarily respond to the consent aspect that these spirits do and entities. I mean, that seems to be the way it looks.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And that's that's one thing too, you know. I, I like dabble in a lot of occult fields, like you know, um, doing like goetic stuff and and chaos magic and stuff. But a part of me is started to almost like come home to like OBEs and like dream technology because I think what I'm I'm starting to realize, like I'm I'm you know about to start this sort of remote viewing experiment with a, with a group of people. And... uh yes,
2: Suzanne just <laughs> told me about that.
3: I'm in, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I'm I gotta putting get, my name in. I got to send you the the consent form for it. Yes, thank you. But um, that's sort of, you know, I was thinking about myself doing it because in, in the role that I'm going to be doing the experiment, I'm not going to be participating as a viewer, because I'm going to be the experiment or the scientist, quote unquote. So but I think about myself doing remote viewing and I'm like, I maybe I'm maybe I'd be good at it. I don't know. I've never tried it. But part of me just thinks that maybe some people just have like their own talents, you know, and, and maybe my talent is doing like out-of-body work and dream work. Um, you know, I can I can learn all these other things. I can learn how to do sigils and I can learn how to summon demons. But I think in the end I'm gonna come back to doing out-of-body work and dream work is like the thing that I've always naturally been able to do without mm-hmm. having to learn anything or having to force anything or having to train myself you know it's just that that's maybe my talent
2: well one thing that strikes me and this is another reason why I like to get the little tiny bit of astro stuff we get which is usually just mm-hmm. the sun sign um but your pisces right that's what you said I believe and, um, the water signs and Pisces are, you know, like one of the things is you're just naturally psychic and naturally able to move into these etheric type realms. And so, and, and time and again, in these discussions, it's always the water signs that really have these amazing, bring amazing content like this. It, it's just, it, you know, I'm never, I'm not blown away anymore by it. And, mm-hmm. um, when, whatever you think of astrology whatever anyone in the world thinks of astrology i see consistent patterns and this is one of them
3: yeah i've only recently had like a come to jesus moment with astrology i used to sort of always think it was just um hocus pocus even though i believe in plenty of woo stuff i i just something about astrology i i maybe it's like the idea that there's like no free will, like everything about your personality and like talents and stuff is like shaped by the date you were born on a planet that like, you know, Think of it it more
1: as a template though, instead of a cast and iron kind of thing.
3: Well, that's what I originally thought. Yeah. And so what has come to light for me recently is that astrology was just kind of ancient man's way of describing some sort of effect that the stars or outer space seems to have on people like what really turned the corner for me is i was like reading um joe mcmonegles i think it was in mind trek his his book about remote viewing and they have in the appendix like these different studies where they showed that like local side real time had a like significant impact on remote viewing like effectiveness uh, up to like a threefold difference uh, depending on what time like local side real time was when the viewer did it. And the idea, or at least his, his like guess is that it had something to do about whether or not the remote viewer was like on a part of the earth that was exposed to the galactic core. Mm-hmm. Of the Milky way. And it's like, and they don't have any good answers for it. And that's a very materialist way of looking at it, but it got me thinking like,
1: I don't think so. Maybe,
3: maybe there is something about the stars that affects like psychic functioning or affects people.
1: There absolutely ways. is. Uh, it's, it's, it's very important when you're doing say like Solomonic magic.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. It's, it's important. Matt, it, what you made me think of when you said that was perhaps remote viewing is a type of magical operation. It is. I mean, And it's, that it can be improved yeah. by using uh, certain dates and times using the calendar. That's interesting.
3: Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I mean, 100% local side Mm -hmm. real time has uh, a significant impact on the effectiveness of remote viewing and remote viewing is, I mean, let's not like, you know, split hairs here. Remote viewing is scrying. Mm
0: -hmm. uh, Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: That is, that is the, uh, and the methodology you use, there's a big difference between the methodology and the protocol of remote viewing, Mm -hmm. like. Like, just scrying is not remote viewing. But remote viewing can involve scrying. Like, all that it means for it to be remote viewing is that it follows the strict, like, double, like, kind of blind protocol that was developed by SRI, mm-hmm. um, you know, like put off and target and those guys. Um, if it doesn't follow that, like, protocol, then it, you can't call it, like, remote viewing. Um, but that's the protocol. The methodology that you used to do the viewing that's entirely up to you like if it's easier for you to do remote viewing by like using a scrying mirror like by all means go for it it doesn't matter how you do it it's just that you've like follow the rules that you follow the protocol where you're like blind to the target right. mm-hmm.
1: and the more There's comfortable the- you are the easier it'll be to do it
3: yeah exactly i mean like mcmonagall said that you know some people used like tarot, some people used like scrying mirrors or like pools of oil and stuff like your actual methods don't really matter um, you don't need all of that stuff. I mean, McMoneagle did all of his stuff just, you know, sitting in a, like, right, dim right. room and concentrating.
1: They're training wheels, in a yeah. way.
3: Yeah. Um, but as long as you're following the protocol, it's remote viewing. And, yeah, I mean, what I think is, is that, like, magic and the scientific state of remote viewing are both pointing to the same thing. You know? It's not that remote viewing is magic, it's that magic and remote viewing are both doing or interacting with the same forces that lead, like, to the ability. They're they're both manipulating like energies and and tuning in those kind of like psychic wavelengths that allow these things to happen. Right, but
1: also all these things are also pointing very straightly back to consciousness. Yeah, science exactly. included. You know, it's like all 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 roads lead to Rome.
3: Yeah, and. <laughs> I just um I I listened to that uh, interview that Soraya did with Cheryl uh, Lee Black recently and it got my yeah. mind racing on a lot of things. Like uh, the one thing I'm like really fascinated with now is like electro kin- like electrokinetics mm-hmm. like somehow uh you know like people who exhibit psi phenomena are able to like manipulate electricity or like
1: mm-hmm. and then blame and- it on AI on the internet.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you know they were talking about all these like little experiments where they would like spin a pinwheel and stuff, and I'm like, that's parlor tricks. I got some better ideas. Like I got you know I was thinking about uh, the interview that uh, the Gramercy guys did with Valet, where mm-hmm. he was talking. Valet was talking about the uh, quote unquote alien alloys that were, um, that you know that that were like in the Times article that they had recovered and were storing in this warehouse that belongs to bigelow and valet sort of mentioned that they were all like earth-like materials just that the isotopes were like not natural like they were like weird isotopes of these naturally occurring materials and i got to thinking you know because i firmly believe like these these like phenomena are like spiritual in nature or or sort of like psychic in nature are consciousness based and i'm like what if they're manipulating like matter on an atomic level. Then I got to thinking about the electrokineticism and stuff. And I'm like, I want to do an experiment to see if somebody who exhibits that sort of electrokinetic ability can manipulate something on the atomic level. If they can turn like one isotope of carbon into another isotope of carbon. Yeah,
2: amazing.
3: (laughs) Because that that is, that's the the good shit. Yeah, that is the good shit. And that ties Fuck that! In fuck that. Make
1: it make make Litecoin go to a thousand dollars or something.
3: <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so like, I don't know how familiar you guys are with like Robert Monroe's body of work. Like, have you guys read? From, like Far I'm Far familiar Journey? with it. Yeah, I'm it.
2: not a master in it, but I mean, how can you? He, he's everywhere, yeah. really.
3: So there's this point, and I think Far Journey, Daddy Lush. the second book, when yeah, he, he's taken by this you know his like sort of guardian entity that's you know showing him around to like the far future of mankind and like he sees all these like spaceships around the moon and he's like well what are these are these like literal aliens and and the guy's like yeah they are they've come to see the show like they've because it's apparently the moment where like mankind like ascends basically and he like goes down and like sees these you know future humans and like they basically are all like powerful psychics they all have the, like the ability to literally manipulate like matter and energy with their minds and that is like i'm like maybe that's where all this is like leading to if we if we take that if we if we play around a little bit and take that as like a prophetic like vision by robert monroe of what like humans humankind's like potential could be one day mm-hmm. like I think that these like studies into like electrokineticism and stuff correlate with that ability to maybe manipulate matter on some attainable level. Because like, I think like the the UFOs and the fairies and the spirits, they all do this already because they exist on a certain level where like manipulating matter in 3D space is like, okay, whatever. It's as easy as we like build Legos. Um, but maybe we can do that too, even though we're still in three-dimensional reality. you know base reality maybe that ability is something that we can manipulate as well
1: what about the thought that so uh, so, you know i would i'm sure you agree that belief and uh, the system produces and manifests effects right you know that Mm -hmm. that whole thing exists so what if what if it's just that if enough people believe that we're going to ascend that will happen spontaneously
3: yeah i mean that's that's the other thing i mean it might I, not
1: be I, something on our path is kind of where i'm going i mean it might not be yeah. uh ordained or built in and this might not be an intelligently designed place it's mm-hmm. you know it's just that whatever we believe is going to happen it's going to happen if we all believe it's going, we're going to ascend and become fucking telekinetic hell yeah let's do it
3: well see that that's i think the problem that a lot of people like Terrence mckenna and grant morrison have or they get stuck in you know they all believe that this is going to happen that you know time wave zero or whatever like you know reality is going to collapse and mankind is going to ascend at some point but i'm kind of like fuck that you can't just sit there and hope that it's going to happen we have to make it happen we have to actually do the work you can't just sit on your laurels and like yeah one day like just do it
1: the only the only uh, con I could think to that is wh- where did this idea originate? You know, who planted that seed? Was it you know, are we looking at some kind of uh predictive programming per se? In a true sense of the word.
3: Maybe, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I mean it, I think it goes all the way all the way back to, you know, ye shall be as gods, be the fruit of this tree. Oh, that mm-hmm. Jesus guy. It's a pain in my ass. <laughs> I mean <laughs> What was I gonna say, like, sorry. No, uh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> that's classic. I, I feel like <laughs> when you work with this stuff, when you work with dreams, and you work in out of body work, and you do work with psi effects, you start to realize that like reality isn't as. Ma- I mean, it's obviously not material. I think we all believe that, but it's not even that it's not material. It's that it's very malleable. Like reality is a lot more squishy and moldable than I think any of us realize. And I don't mean like in a psychological way, like, oh well, you know, you can put yourself in the right mindset and you'll be able to accomplish your dreams. I mean like literally, the reality around you is like malleable down to like the like material level, like down to the subatomic level. Like you know, like a lot of people like to take terms like alchemy. And be like oh it's about transforming the soul it's about like internal processes and i'm like i mean have we ever just considered that they were just like literally saying that yeah you can turn lead into gold like i mean maybe you can literally turn lead into gold and yeah there's a whole school of
2: thought that is behind that too
3: yeah you know like we like to get all woo with this stuff but maybe they were just telling the truth you know maybe they were literal
1: or both,
2: I think. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always in that middle category. Like maybe there's a little bit on each side that's putting this somehow. It's collating, but but right in the physical, like in manifestation. Anyone who's played with um, even thought or active imagination, let alone anything more esoteric, um, even even Christians with prayer are other people with prayer and seeing manifestation come from thought. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just push that into that further into the idea. And and once you become more open to Mm -hmm. the world that's forming around your will, Mm -hmm. it, it, it's another pedal. It just keeps going. In my experience, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this is all post Horus, though. We should close Knox Mente, ask questions, and move this juicy conversation over. <laughs>
1: all right. <laughs> I just suggested we just go another hour and call it a show.
2: Oh. Call okay. both if you don't mind. Jerry, I'm so fine with that. Yeah. It's it's up to it's up to you two. I am definitely fine the, with the that. The
1: audience is uh has agreed.
2: Yeah, I then, then scroll it. Well, I had a question about this et thing Mm -hmm. um et abduction so you mentioned that a couple times in your experiences with um, paralysis and um just earlier in the show Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that what how does that all tie into this
3: um i think the entities that like uh, abduct people are basically spirits like anything else um you know i I think whitley streber was moving towards this i've heard tim renner say similar things and mike collins say similar things that they think that when they have their like sort of abduction experience Mm -hmm. that they're never actually leaving like their physical body's never leaving the room that it's all in an out-of-body state i mean how else people like come out of like feel like they're getting pulled from their bedroom, through,
2: walls. Like, yeah. through walls, yeah, yeah, and,
3: and like seeing dead people and things like that around. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean it's obviously something that's happening in an out of body state. Now whether or not those entities are like literal external spirits, I mean that that's still up to question. But I, I would wager that they probably are. I, I don't know. What...
1: But are, are they still from the same cloud? Our cloud, you know, are they just uh, yeah. different types of? expressions of an individual consciousness like we are but physical maybe we're more powered that we can manifest the body but they can't they could can just it look like a hologram.
3: yeah, yeah i mean that's what streber said a couple times and hmm. i think in transformation that he believed that these things somehow deal with like the process of recycling human souls or that they like sort of are like custodial in nature um and I've, I've often said before that, like, there's no reason, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the, you know, the extraterrestrial hypothesis that, mm-hmm. you know, y- yeah, there's probably not like physical UFOs that no. have like physical aliens in them. But if like, if we assume that like consciousness is somehow universal, I mean, yeah, there's obviously life elsewhere in the universe. We're not the only planet with carbon based life. I, if
1: I the try. universe is as it's described, yes
3: yeah yeah jerry (laughs) (laughs) so if we if we take that into account well if consciousness isn't like unique to humans then who's to say that there aren't like literal extraterrestrials from like actual literal other planets astrally projecting or having out-of-body experiences and traveling to earth you know
1: like we can't even be sure that those other planets quote-unquote aren't aren't Other lives of ours, or other aspects of Uh, our lives, or other aspects of our consciousness, our individual. True. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I mean that is an interesting aspect. We we only remember past lives that we lived as humans. You know, (laughs) we never have a dream about being some sort of other life form on another planet. So that does bring up. Because
1: you.
2: Well, but that, and that is also like, you don't know, like sometimes Mm -hmm. to me, when I've looked in a mirror or a reflective surface, I've been surprised. Although I will say I've always been humanoid. However, I didn't know until I looked and saw, I was just going about my experience. And, um, but it's, you know, it's possible that one day I will look in a reflection, I'll be lapping up some water and I'll see a dog looking back. Mm
3: Mm-hmm that's yeah i've I've thought about that a lot too like i can't remember ever having a dream that i was like an animal and i wonder if people have had past life experiences of being animals because i'm like fairly certain that animals have out-of-body forms and like they exist on some level because i remember uh in again in streber's transformation there's a point where he actually takes his cat along on an abduction experience like at least, you know, in his mind physically. And I'm like, and there's there's a, a point in Robert Moreau's um, books, too, where his cats, like, play with him in an out-of-body state. Like, they're, like, batting at him, like he's a yeah. mouse or something. So...
2: I dream with my animal. well, some of them, a couple of them.
3: Yeah, it's a very, like, sort of animistic view that, like, literally everything has a soul. Like, even plants and trees and stuff, you know? Like... Well but, but
1: a soul is not necessarily a consciousness That's, you know we should make the distinction,
3: yeah, yeah I no, mean, that that is a good distinction to make yeah. It's,
1: it's a living entity that may have some sort of will of its own,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but even in like it say say the more mundane, so if we take it, we come dial back from like all the et stuff and come into the more mundane which is still fantastical like werewolves mm-hmm. and vampires and fairies mm-hmm. um which i guess are more classical now um th- so a lot of those that book i think it is werewolves fairies and vampires oh it's an amazing book i can't think and of aside
1: from fairies too uh how do we know these things aren't tulpas Just i think they have. well to that's throw, throw,
2: that's throw that another good point yeah but that so you see a lot of this stuff came forth through people's dream experiences. So they're having these dreams where they, they, they well, they're astral experiences, like the witch's Sabbath, it's an astral experience. And um, I lost track. I got stuck in the toll tulpas.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> Jerry, it's all right. I can't remember what I was talking about, but that book we should look up. It's really delicious, by the way.
1: What book we is we it? I'll look up? it up.
3: Vampires, fairies, and werewolves, I think. If you, uh, if you want something to chew on regarding that, um, there was a really interesting correlation uh, between a couple of different sources I was following a while back. Uh, I listened to some podcast or interview with Linda Godfrey, And she was talking about, like, this woman who was having these, like, dogman sightings. Um, Except sometimes, instead of seeing a dogman, she would see sort of this, like, shimmering haze, like, kind of lurking around in the bushes or whatever. Like, you know, traveling around. And what really fascinated me about that description was that um, in Goetic Ritual and, like, you know, spirit summoning, and this is something that, like, Grant Morrison talks about, um, unless you're on hallucinogens, like that's the most common form in which a spirit manifests. It's sort of just like a, a shimmering in the air, like sort of a haze, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, neither one of these sources know about each other, but they're both basically describing the same thing. Like, so whatever yes. this entity is, it's like a spirit. Yes. You know, it's it's something external to us that exists, you know, kind of outside our reality. Maybe bleeds through every now and then. Um, But that has like sort of the same form uh, in both instances.
2: Hold on a minute on my end, okay? Jerry's gonna have to take over for a second. Sorry, Ren.
1: I'm looking up books. Damn it. (laughs) Is it werewolves, vampires, werewolves, and zombies?
3: And fairies. I don't see a fairy.
1: Vampires, Werewolves, and Zombies. Oh my, a horror anthology. I'll find it later, I'll put it in the chat.
3: I've actually got that one book by, what is that guy's name? It's like a, it's called Monsters. Hmm. And hmm. it's just like a, I don't know if my...
1: Like a cryptozoology book?
3: You'd think it would be, but it's actually an occult book. Let's see if I might I think. I'll stretch over here.
0: Where is it, my bookcase?
1: didn't you write the leftovers anyway there was someone had a question in the chat yeah uh your thoughts on geomancy
3: Hmm. it's something that i know very little about but i remember listening to an interview with uh, sam block where he talked a lot about it and said that it was a really effective form of divination, Mm -hmm. um, even more so than like using tarot or whatever. I've been meaning to look into it forever, but it's a bit complicated and like kind of hard to find information about, so.
1: I saw an interview with a guy once. (laughs) Never mind. I I saw a guy who did it once on TV, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember who I saw the interview with.
2: I'm back, by
3: the way. Welcome. The interesting thing about uh, Geomancy, yeah. Uh, from what uh, Sam Block was talking about was that like the total number of permutations of like you know because you have each of the figures that are like sticks yeah. and dots or whatever that there's not like a huge number of combinations of them like I forget how many there are but it's not anywhere near as like the number of combinations of like tarot cards that you can get or whatever and when I first that, saw
1: it too it reminded me of uh, I Ching I Ching
3: yeah yeah in a way. and I was like a while back when I was like first reading about geomancy, I actually um, sort of had the idea that well, if there's not actually that many combinations, you could probably just program it. Like you could you could have a program that literally does all the transformations for you. Hmm. But then then it's like if you had if you did that, would it still work? I mean, that's something you'd have to experiment with. Maybe maybe whatever makes it work, because you know I tend to believe in things like divination systems like tarot or tea leaf reading or whatever like you're you're using your own psychic abilities to of course do the divination yeah. i mean it's the the tools are just uh, a form that you're utilizing Um but there's yeah. no actual magic in them
1: no no well some i've heard differently on some tarot decks the like uh the solar guy I heard has a little bit of magic in it
2: oh just a little <laughs> <laughs>
1: And i uh, got yeah, one more question here. We could be done with questions from now. But uh, before
2: you do that, I want to just interject. The book was Witches, Werewolves, and Fairies, Shapeshifters and Astral Doubles in the Middle Ages. Witches. Really great read.
1: Witches, werewolves, and yeah. fairies. I found it.
2: And it, it talks on all this. It's re- a really great read.
3: Yeah, I remember, actually, um, I was I was taking one of Gordon White's courses uh, a while back. Birds Something I didn't...
1: Mm-hmm. Berto? no
3: not, not the berto stuff although mm-hmm. it might have it, i think it was actually the Journeying course right. okay um but uh i never realized that the sort of witches' flights or witches' sabbats um were like basically ufo sightings like they would literally see these lights like descend on a field and then they would like mutilate the yes. cattle yes that sort of thing <laughs> i was like well i never realized it was like that close to former ufo site or like you know what would be, later become like C- cattle mutilation or whatever
2: well see and that's the whole thing is the language is morphing around our it's morphing
3: mm-hmm.
2: so where once it was witches, is in the you know once it was witches and and other mm-hmm. things now it's it's falling under these different categories but the phenomena is the same
1: And look at yeah. you say it's morphing too. look at how it's morphing to a more symbolic language in that we communicate more digitally these days and use emojis to convey multiple words or thoughts or you know it's more than just i feel sad you know it conveys the emotion to the person uh, with those symbols and you could look at the internet again as one of those tools that we're using in the meantime before we develop our own way to convey symbol symbol symbols and and feelings to each other directly
2: Right, and, and so I'm. I've been pondering this, Jerry. Is where is this, where is this going to take us? And also, as we've seen, um, the emergence of sim reality come through with that. Also, these symbols um, are morphing fast. Yeah. The the whole yeah, rubber band yeah. thing, kind of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True. And I, you just made me think of something else <laughs> too.
3: Yeah, I mean, on one level too, that sort of memetic sphere of information uh has grown so rapidly and, and cycles so quickly nowadays um i was th- they made this like kind of funny observation on a uh, chatbot trap house that like, back in the day uh you only got like a couple memes a year and those were the super bowl commercials and those were all the memes you got for the entire year And people, like, would make jokes or, like, refer to them for basically, like, an entire year until the next Super Bowl. But in, like, sort of today's information sphere, you have, like, memes pop up on Twitter that are, like, gone and stale within a week, and you never see them again.
2: Yeah, it's going so fast.
3: Mm -hmm. It's that sort of concentration and distillation of information and, and, like, semiotics that accelerates and i'm just like if it keeps accelerating like what's this sort of end game there like where does this go when there's a world in which sort of <clears throat> new memes and new information are put out that exists for like seconds or even microseconds
1: or trillions of a second according to yeah. some
3: like it- how are um like i want to see if, uh
1: well, maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Anywhere, rather, it's if if the like the blinking universe theory is true, mm-hmm. then nothing's really happening. We're just getting images flashed in front of our eyes forty-eight trillion times a second. <laughs>
3: it's the um, uh, what's the that term?
1: Like, sh- I, I can never remember it.
3: <sighs> gotta look this up. It's like a stochastic or something. Blindness,
1: where you can only see distortion out of your eyes.
2: We need to know it. Yeah,
3: I'm trying to look. Well, it's the not name. a blind.
1: This was like a, a universal theory how the universe works.
3: Well, that's literally how your eyes work. Like, um, <clears throat> you don't actually see the ears, your the way your optic nerve works. Uh, when you're I can't remember the name of it now, but I'll just describe it. Um, when you look at something, you're, you're only seeing sort of still shots that are taken every i forget how fast it is but like it's not full motion and your brain actually like fills in the gaps between the frames with what it expects to see based on previous motion and things like that so there are these moments in between those like flashes where you're literally blind
2: um, oh my God! I should remember. I had two neuro classes, <laughs> neuro neuroscience classes, recently.
3: I'm trying. It's um, it's most famously for me, like, uh, brought up as a plot point in Peter Watts' uh, sci-fi novel *Blindsight*. Um, well,
2: it just kind of ran kind of in this direction, and um, I, I because I don't know what are your thoughts on this whole um, the digital age as we're moving forward into um more computer sentience, I guess, mm-hmm. more of the AI experience. And and I'm saying that loosely. Mm-hmm. By the way. AI. I'm saying AI loosely.
1: I was thinking so, the other day, we could should call it synthetic intelligence.
2: I like that, Jerry,
3: yeah. actually. Well, I can say that so there's a couple interesting experiments that I followed recently that have to do with sort of artificial life or artificial intelligence. Uh, one was really interesting and brought up a lot of uncomfortable questions. Where basically a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, um, completely like mapped the sort of web of neurons. It doesn't even have a brain, but of some sort of like nematode worm. Um, Like, it has a simple enough nervous system that you're able to completely replicate it. Yes. And uh, he, like, built a little robot, like a little Kinex robot, that had, like, basically the entire, like, neural network of this nematode worm, like, programmed into it. And, like, without actually telling it to do anything, like, these worms are naturally drawn towards light, towards sources of light. It's how they find food. So when he would turn this thing on and he would shine a light, it would move towards the light um, because it was just following its natural programming. And I was thinking to myself, like, is this thing alive? Like what happens when he turns it off? Uh, Is he killing it? Like each time he turns it on, is it a new worm? I mean, can we even apply the idea of consciousness to something like that? I mean, it's, it's, on some level horrifying, but on the other level, I find it like extremely cool like I'm a very pro sort of artificial intelligence pro robotics kind of guy but is it um,
1: isn't that really just an extension of an animist universe?
3: I mean, maybe I don't uh, that's the weird thing. I don't know how to reconcile like my thoughts about artificial intelligence with my like occult thoughts. I really don't um
2: well, that's interesting I know, I know a good way
1: <laughs> go I, I i'm of the opinion that many of the demons and angels the named ones at least with offices that do specific things are some form of synthetic intelligence
3: yeah i mean you may be right i don't know that's jerry just sent me
2: that. some video recently about a guy's con ai god what was that jerry Oh, that fascinating jams and guy fascinating yeah. fascinating
3: it was think- interesting I think what'll really happen with with artificial intelligence, I think it's folly to think that they'll be anything like us. Like, I don't know if you if you guys watched that uh, Netflix show, Altered Carbon. Have you seen that? No. I have. I no.
1: have. It's very good. Ooh,
3: it, it sounds seems, good. You know how the AIs in that are basically just like people who live in cyberspace.
1: Sort of, but they're, they're very two dimensional. But yes, yeah. yeah.
3: I, like, I think that is like extremely childish to think that that's what ai's will end up being um
1: not sort that of they my... won't <laughs>
2: what like about like the show humans where they are actually like people you know their sense they call them sense yeah
1: well, the altered carbon model is more interesting because they have uh devices implanted in their spinal cord that stores their i forgot what they call it a stack the, well the stack is is the stack the, the software part? Maybe
3: well like um well you're talking about the humans in in uh altered carbon like have basically a, a little disc in the back of their neck that stores right. all of their memories and so if they die they it's, just put that into a new body and then reboot you know and then
1: it, it stores their consciousness die. yeah it's
3: um, because well, it it says it stores their consciousness but i mean that brings up the theseus's axe, you know
1: well in the book um they it's described as they found some alien technology, which allowed them to make this discovery.
3: Yeah. But is it just a copy of their consciousness? No,
1: it's not. It's the actual consciousness that's stored on the stack. That's why if it's destroyed, you're gone.
3: Yeah. But I was thinking about that too, like watching the show, Uh, you know, assume assuming at some point, like children are implanted with this thing at that moment is the original individual killed and like, the stack has basically a copy of all that information. Oh,
2: oh, yeah. It's
3: like body snatchers in a weird modern day body
2: snatchers.
1: They even explore that in Altered Carbon Um, near the end. Remember, he double stacks into a clone of himself, yeah, that he 3D printed himself, by the way. Yeah,
3: because it's that old Star Trek thing, right? Like each time a member of the crew takes the teleporter or transporter or whatever down to the surface, is it killing them and then making a perfect copy of them with all their memories up into the point of death? Right. Each time, like I mean, you don't know. There's no way to tell. Um, it's it's the the it grandfather's axe paradox.
1: Up, so. Yeah, I see that. It's
3: like, but well, it's uh, the the grandfather's axe thing is basically like, if you have an axe that belonged to your grandfather and yeah. you take it to a, a master craftsman and they rebuild it down to every nick, like piece of wear, they make a perfect copy. Is it also your grandfather's axe? Or no,
2: it's not to me. But my opinion.
3: But it's exactly the same.
2: I know, but yet it doesn't have his <laughs> patina on it. It doesn't have his <laughs> energy
3: on
1: Sistine. it. Stain,
3: exactly. Right. But but what is that energy? Can you hold it? Can you describe? Maybe I'm I'm playing devil's advocate, materialist here. But well, yeah, it, right. like, you, you in can't... a
2: physical way, is oils yeah. from his hands using it? His the things he was thinking while he's using it when he was mad when he was loving all this innate energy that poured in Mm -hmm. and out through his molecules into Mm -hmm. the the organic structure of the axe the wood Mm -hmm. and and that's also there's a crystalline aspect to the metals that store the information
3: yeah and so the idea is if you but okay so here's the other part of that so like literally you are an entirely different person than you were 10 years ago. Like every single cell <laughs> last is... year <laughs> Well, I mean, on, on a material level, every yes. single cell in your body that was part of your body 10 years ago is dead. Like you're a yeah. completely new human being, but you don't like, you didn't die. You had preservation of consciousness, at least the way you understand consciousness. So, I mean, I don't know, but back to the AI thing. Um, I I feel like the future of AI would be much more similar to this uh, Ian Banks novel called Fearsome Engine, where like there's AI, but it's completely alien to mankind. Like it exists in its sort of virtual environment that's sped up like, you know, 10 million times faster than base reality. And so it's had, you know, billions and trillions of years to like evolve within this artificial environment. And so... It's completely unable to even communicate with humans anymore, Um, and I feel like that is what AI is eventually going to end up being. Like it's, it's not going to be some sort of extension of mankind or sort of like copy of us or like in our image. It's going to be something completely alien and different to us. And I mean, there's not I don't have a problem with that, but I think you know to believe that. it's just going to make like artificial people. It's a little simplistic.
2: Right. I, I do think that, yeah. I, I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering, um, I agree. Cliff High says that, by the way, is kind of in that same camp. So what I've heard a lot of people say is most um, civilizations, they get to a point where, where, where we're at now, where they have created AI to move into further depths, like mm-hmm. into... Into the deep sea, into deep space, and somehow that—that that is like kind of part of ha- this onion experience that we're having. That eventually, they it comes round, you know, like us in the future, or um,
3: oh man, I'm totally off my game right now. <laughs> well, something I've 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 talked about before. Um... The idea of sending, like, carbon-based human beings into space to for, like, space travel or colonization is, I think, ridiculous. Like, it, we aren't meant to be in space. Like, we don't even have any idea if we can survive outside of, like, the sort of geomagnetic envelope.
2: Right, there. and that's where this
3: all comes in. So how
1: do we get to the moon?
3: Well, the moon's still within the Van Allen Belt.
1: No, it's not.
3: It's not?
1: I no, it was. no, no, no.
3: But it's got to be, like...
1: It's nowhere near the Van Allen boats. The Van Allen radiation boats are, like, I think 1,000 miles out.
3: Oh, okay. Well, I, well I
2: guess on this, if we pump the breakup pit, what are your thoughts on space, Ren?
1: Oh, I wasn't going to go there.
2: You weren't? <laughs> I know, but I'm going there, okay. so it's all right, Chair.
3: I mean, I, I have a very traditional, like, you know, kind of, like, physics view of space. I I think it's it's space, just like how people imagine it, like general people imagine it, not like how Jerry imagines it. (laughs) And I I mean, I I, say that...
1: I imagine (laughs) it both ways. I mean, I don't have any... I have no... I don't imagine it anyway. I just... When I see live video of space, it looks void. No stars, no nothing. It looks fake. Not fake, but it looks... I don't know. I can't describe what it looks like.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, just go there. Check it out for yourself. I mean, that's what I did. That's why like but, but, i
1: yeah.
3: i mean look, to like explain this most one of my most recent out of body experiences i wanted to go to space i wanted to go to the moon um my mistake was not specifying which moon and i uh ended up like when i kind of rubber banded i ended up in orbit of a jovian moon and i was like in close orbit to jupiter and it was like a st- It was astounding. It was still the most spectacular thing I've ever seen in an out-of-body experience. You know, just to be like, to see this, like all the colors and like the swirling on the surface and like being like between like a Jovian moon as it like orbits around Jupiter and having like Jupiter filling like my entire field of vision was like completely intense. And I try to tell people like, that's why the, the Aborigines weren't impressed when they were told that we sent men to the moon because they were like who cares we've been to the moon we went there a long time ago like you can go to the moon now if you want
2: okay so I want to add into this I so I have had my uh, space experiences through the astral realm and Mm -hmm. to me and this is where I get this idea it felt more like water so I'm not saying it was water but it felt like when I'm in water like when I'm swimming it felt more like that than it does the environment we're in now so that's just my experience
3: of it. Well, it's entirely possible. I mean, you know, obviously space isn't empty. It's filled with waves and radiation yes. and all sorts of things. So, I mean, it, your experience of it may be more realistic than, than you think. Like, you know, if you're, if you're in the out-of-body state, like if we look at this from like a material point of view, if the out-of-body state is actually some sort of like tangible material like electromagnetic field or something, Mm-hmm. It would it would make sense that like when you're in space, it would feel like you're swimming amongst all these different energies, and, and almost like it was a fluid. And you know, like you know, there's still the idea of the ether. You know, that it was yes, never... yeah, that
1: yeah. was that was the nice next question. Yeah, because yeah. what if space is some kind of unrefined ether?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's totally possible. Uh, it was, I mean, the whole the ether idea fell out of fashion, but it was never. It never it's, fell out of fashion it, it with
1: never meter, by, out. by the way. It was it was stamped out by by the materialists by the scientism yeah. by Einstein. Even Einstein was on the fence about
3: it. Yeah, I mean Einstein was on the fence. Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. I mean, it's it's just as good as an explanation as as a lot of other things. And, it's
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of Einstein's theories well general relativity has not been proven yet. As far as I know it's still a theory.
3: Uh eh, I would beg to differ but
1: I'll look it up. As far as I know, it hasn't been. I know know this gravitational stuff has not, because it's still a theory. Gravity is still a theory. They don't know how it
3: works. Well, yeah. I mean, well, we understand that, like, mass deforms 3D space. And
1: that's the theory.
3: That's the theory. Yeah, Mm -hmm. obviously. But I mean... I don't think there's any way we like could prove that exactly. But you you exactly,
1: make,
3: it's <laughs> that's just a point. Jerry's point. <laughs> well, the, the thing is though, you don't have to have a law to like have a working idea of how something works. I mean, like it's
1: not falsifiable.
3: But it's it's like the best thing we've got. <laughs> and, and like when you do experiments uh, using like the equations, they they work. So I mean, that's the best you can say, really
1: this is my whole, this is kind of where I'm driving this conversation. If you look at, uh, I know we, I haven't talked to you about this, but we've talked to other people about how scientists when performing experiments tend to get the results they expect. Certain certain ones do. And yes, it's, certain ones do. Yeah, there's like this placebo effect sort of thing. Which well, is obviously magic, right?
3: It's both <laughs> so, so magic and it's, it's human nature as well. I mean, people aren't perfect and people are going to bend, especially in sort of the uh, capitalist motivated sort of world we live in, people in the private sector, especially are, are going to want to get results. Of course. And of course. those results may mean that they have to fudge things here or there because they, you know, they got a mortgage payment. Right. Right.
1: right. So, um, so take a look at like quantum mechanics and uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And you hear people say that, you know, cell phone technology is built upon the theories of quantum mechanics. What if it turns out the quantum mechanics is wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? What, is that, what does that make of the things you've built upon this, this foundation? I don't know who's telling
3: you cell phone technology is based on quantum mechanics. I mean, cell phone technology is just radio. I mean, I it's like I've, as old as Marconi.
1: There's some quantum aspect to the the towers or something. I don't remember what it was.
3: There is um uh, some sort of quantum aspect uh, to do with like CD and optical media technology that's not actually completely understood. But okay. here's the thing. Okay. You There's some technology
1: actually... built on the foundation of quantum electron, quantum <laughs> mechanics. That's what I'm, you know, what happens when it, that is proved, like dark matter has recently been proved incorrect. Doesn't exist. Yep. They need yep. a new theory, but there, I don't think there are any theories built upon dark matter that are in production. Like my example, you know what I mean?
3: It, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, it's a theory; is just a theory. Like science, a lot of people take science very dogmatically. Uh, it's just a, it's just a good idea that like people test and then they see if it works. And if it doesn't work, they throw it out. And you know, not all scientists use it properly. But like, just because like okay, so dark matter was proved, like probably not a thing. I mean, that's fine. That's that's good. That means that they didn't have the answer, and we can look at other things. Um, Like, people think, okay, well, something was proved incorrect, like, that's a bad thing, or, like, somehow somebody fucked up, and it's, like, no, that just, that's how science works. Like, people have ideas, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, and you're supposed to throw out the ones that don't work and move on to new things. Um, And also, too, it's important to remember that it's not actually necessary that we understand, like, the complete how and why of something uh, to use it. I mean, we don't know how or why magic works the way it does, but we know it works um i mean i'm certainly interested in the how and why No,
1: uh, i wasn't saying that per se my question was more what do we do with the things that we've built on this foundation of incorrectness what happens to i mean it hasn't happened out. yet but but what if they okay so just, just say cell phone technology couldn't work without the quantum mechanic theories whatever or gps i'm reading here right now gps couldn't work because the atomic clock couldn't work whatever right
3: yeah.
1: When, okay. if, if quantum mechanics proves, if the equations don't work, it's wrong, right? They can't prove it. They say it's bogus. What then yeah, becomes, but, uh, of the other things are still working.
3: Yeah. It just means that their, their theory about why it works is incorrect. It doesn't mean it's going to stop working. It just means that like they were wrong about why it works.
1: Does it, or has someone created a magical device?
3: It's possible too. I mean, I know where you're coming. I see where you're coming from on
1: that. Yeah. 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 That's all, that's all I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that some effects are like not re are like only reproducible in one laboratory setting because of like psychic influence. I mean, that's totally possible. And it's not something that I think really any scientists take into account.
0: Um, of course It's something,
3: not. <laughs> it's something like <laughs> parapsychological researchers are obviously like very familiar with and you see it all the time in parapsychology studies. But um, I mean, yeah. We can't discount the fact that certain scientists may actually be creating the results. It's not just that they're biased, it's that they're literally creating the results they want to see. Um, And that's why it's important. I mean, that's, that's why it's important that scientists also be like involved in the humanities. That's why I hate like the whole focus on like STEM education because yeah. it's like yeah. that's that's what you get when you have people who are only focused on that and don't have any self-reflection or ability to i think so agree
1: but, but yeah yeah and not only that not yeah aside stem you have common core which mm-hmm. is equally mind-numbing and doesn't even require you to generate an answer it's all multiple choice yeah it's all it's i just look at it all as indoctrination
3: well, I mean, anything public school related was never meant to make anybody think for themselves. It was meant to churn out good factory little factory workers. workers. Yeah. Factory yeah. Henry Ford. <laughs> yep.
2: So. What do you think, Rin, about like the whole D Wave thing, how that's possibly changing the um, way in which we are, are living, really? You're
3: going to have to remind me what that is. I'm not. Familiar. Oh, D
1: Wave's the quantum computer company. That supplies the government. Quantum computing. And Google with the quantum computers.
3: They are out there. I, I, I hear people talk a lot about quantum computing, but I'm still... Like, I think it's kind of like a buzzword. I don't think...
2: Well, allegedly... I mean, they've come out... I can't think of his name, Jerry. What's his Ro- name? Geordie
1: Rose. Gordy Rose.
2: Gordy Rose. Um, I mean, allegedly, they're... <laughs> They're out and there's people talking. No, I know that Jerry's always questioning if it's real, but no, I'm just I, saying it's a narrative that's out there and they're talking about it. And there's a lot of agreement that they, you know, they're saying they have it. They've had TED Talks, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm joking with that. But they, I'm not joking. They really have had a TED Talk. I've
1: got the link right here.
3: No, like TED Talks mean anything.
2: But... I know. Well, used, <laughs> TED Talks used to be great. And highly produced
1: marketing content.
2: Yeah, Yeah. but it wasn't always that way anyway. Um, yeah, I guess if you don't know, if you haven't aren't familiar with this, I guess it doesn't even matter. Well, I'm talking about it, it's fascinating.
3: Like, I'm familiar with the concept of like quantum computing, I just seriously doubt that it is in any sort of state that it can be like used properly right now. Like, I mean, the basic idea is simple, right? Like, you know how like. A physical computer like the computer that we're using right now to do the show um it works on a series of electric switches that are either on or off you know and, and that translates mm-hmm. into ones and zeros that the machine then assembles into what we see in here um the idea of like quantum computing is that instead of is it jerry am i right here is it like they use a base four instead of base two like you've got... um, it
1: doesn't work. It's all based. It's based too in what they okay. so they call instead of um, their CPUs are based on what are called qubits or quantum bits, which have a third state, as far as I can tell. It has on, off, and this other state which exists in a parallel dimension.
3: Well, you have on, off. Well, okay. So you have up, down, and then you have spin. That's the way. The
1: Besides that, these these quantum qubits have uh, have an additional aspect which resides in it's basically it's quantum entangled partner
3: yeah but so, the problem yeah. the problem if you ever want to do something that's not base 2 is that you're going to have to basically completely rethink the way computers work like cuz all of your is. all of your basic logic gate systems that work on on off switches like i mean it's if you've got base 2 or base 4 or like you know base 3 or base 4 like I mean, you're going to, have to completely kind of like redo computer logic from the ground up. That's I what mean,
1: maybe the D-Waves are. D waves they, That's what they it. are, dude. <laughs> That's exactly what they are. These things. You should
2: listen to the designers talk about
1: it. Yeah, he says because it is
2: different. It's totally different.
1: I put Sorry, a link. Trey. No, it's cool. I'll put a link in uh, the chat for you. I put one in for the audience. Yeah, um I've heard Jordy Rose say that they're conjuring demons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the qubits, you know? Yeah, I don't know about all that. Well, you know, if... Whatever, it's...
2: But he's a designer of it, and he can talk about it. Sure, and I I would say, aside from
1: the language, never mind the language, Conjuring Demons, he's instantiating a background process Mm -hmm. in the ether. Essentially. You know, if you want to call that Conjuring a Demon, that's fine. If you, if you look so at it from a computing it's standpoint. It's
3: fascinating to
2: listen
1: to.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out and, and see what the deal is. Because, I mean, I've, I've talked before about, I had this interest in combining sort of uh, occult mechanics with uh, with technology. Like one of my favorite um, series of books is The The Chronicles of Amber by Roger Zelazny. And later on in one of the uh, the books, there is like a sort of extra dimensional computer program created by uh this like hacker that basically does magical operations in the spirit world like you know millions of times per second like faster than a person could do it that kind of idea like fascinates me like something i brought up on another show like i think the real test of ai isn't like a turing test where like it can fool a person into thinking they're human i mean we're already there i mean like there are people who i don't know if you guys are familiar with the argue bot on twitter but like this person yeah, programmed a Twitter bot that just argues with people. Um, and people will spend. Are you sure it's
2: not Jerry? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Like, you have to look it up because people <laughs> argue with this thing for like months without realizing that they're not talking to a human being. And it doesn't even oh. say anything that complicated.
1: Like, I, I'm really skeptical of how many actual people are on Twitter, Facebook for that matter. What, yeah, was, no, it, I mean, what was the name of that book series? I'm sorry. Chronicles of
3: uh, The Chronicles of Amber. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing stuff. Like, it, it's like my favorite fantasy series. It's, it's great. All right. Um, the, and 45. it has very, uh, very close parallels with like out of body stuff in it, too. Um, cool. But yeah, so like that idea of combining, oh, yeah, about AI. The real test for AI is not whether or not you pass a Turing test. I want to know when AI start to manifest psi phenomena. Like mm. when when can an AI do chaos magic? Like that's the real test.
1: Because- does d- does chaos magic? Okay, so I don't think it can, because I don't think that um, synthetic intelligence has a consciousness in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what just what that is suggests is that consciousness can inhabit code,
3: mm-hmm. and well, code and well-
1: code is immutable to some degree.
3: Well, what if consciousness see I have, my idea about consciousness is that sort of consciousness can inhabit any sufficiently complex system I agree, be it you know flesh and blood or
1: or mechanical or like a the star. internet you yeah know? yeah
3: so I think it's entirely possible that AI could do magic and I don't know. That's something I, I wonder if people are asking that question. I need to hit up Dean Reed.
1: We're asking it right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tyler,
1: Tyler. Answer I know.
2: (laughs) 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 Rin? what do you, what do you think about, like, we didn't even ask, ask this in the, the main show. Well, we're, I know. Sorry. Um, what is consciousness like in your definition of it? How do you, where does it, what does it inhabit? Where does it actually live?
3: I have no idea. Um, it's the ether, higher dimensional space. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I go back to that idea that that Grant Morrison. I don't know if you ever heard about his abduction experience. He was like, kind of taken up into what was kind of like a, a spaceship experience, yeah. but without him actually doing DMT on weed. Where he was, yeah, just weed, just hash or whatever. <laughs> And uh, he was kind of like, you know, confronted by these McKenna-style machine elf entities that told him that um, that our reality, you know, amongst other, you know, sort of infinite number of them, were basically um, like places where things can grow because where they are, um, nothing can grow. Like there's no time where they are, so there's no, you know, past. There's no future, so things can't evolve or grow. So they created, you know, the pocket universes, our universe, and all the multiple universes, in order to have a place where there was time, where, where things could change from one state to another. And Morrison's kind of idea was that we're sort of all part of this larval entity, this sort of larval consciousness, and that we're living and dying and collecting all of our experiences until one day this thing is gestated enough that it can like birth itself. And like, that's how these things reproduce. I don't know. It's a very like biopunk kind of idea, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a cool one. I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, it is
2: pretty cool. I've got to give it that.
3: Things, uh, I mean, entities like the kind that talk to Morrison tell a lot of people, a lot of things. So (laughs) I don't really trust them, uh, you know, offhand, but I I tend to, you know, I tend to see consciousness as something non-local to your to your physical body I mean you know people who've had out of of experiences know that's true yeah but I go back to my idea that uh it's not just that you're like an individual soul or not like you're just a fragment of something bigger than yourself that is the collected experience of all the lives that you've lived and that you're going to live that when I, like
2: a, lo- a lot of mainstream neuroscience it really insists that it's all happening in the brain yeah I mean we know that's not true though I know I, I in my classes I was always arguing
1: that point yeah.
2: however how, how I do mean, we I,
1: know it how do we know we don't know
2: well they they've got their math around it and, and but they will say I think I you know neuroscience is really a, a new field mm-hmm. and um, it, it's still you know it can be blown wide open at any moment so but you know how it is with dealing with doctrines it's no different
3: and jerry i say i know that because it survives like the death of the brain so
1: but we don't know that either i'm i'm playing devil's advocate
3: i mean there are plenty of uh people who've had experiences otherwise who've talked to entities that don't have any sort of physical form i mean i get where you're coming from like we don't have any way to learn like objective truth about any of this stuff but i mean there's no way to have objective truth in general anyway right. we just have to go with what evidence we're given it just seems mm-hmm. like
1: when we're out of this experience it's all very subjective yeah out of the physical plane so i mean death would be a subjective experience too Mm-hmm. You know, which to me tells me if I expect to go to hell because I'm bad, I'm going to go to some place pretty much like hell.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I've I, I'm just basing this on you know thousands of years of human experience in which people have communicated with entities that claim that they have survived bodily death. So, I mean, that's all I can really go on.
1: True, true, and and I would I could I could explain that as you know, what if what if DNA has some uh, etheric component to it that we don't, we aren't aware of, that stores the memories of a person? Because think about going back to astrology. If you've got a blank slate person, right? And take chemistry out of this for a minute. Blank slate person that's stamped with this astrological template. And you add in back all the memories and experiences that this person had. Is that not the same person?
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the grandfather's axe paradise. That's the axe. Mm-hmm. So
1: the question, that, part two then, is if this reconstituted being appeared to you in holographic form in a dream or whatever and spewed stuff that would be part of that record, a personal Akashic record, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, subjectively, you're going to think that's that. That's grandpa. That's my mom. That's, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. when this might just be a reenactment or a rerun i don't know it's just something to to think about
3: i I mean i think you're maybe getting at the idea that like we always expect us to be like literally the same uh after we die like but we're like like, that's why i was saying before like i I believe that we're just a fragment and it's not like everything you are right now is going to survive death and it's going to like it may I don't know what I'm trying to say, like it may look like grandpa, but it's it's not really grandpa. It's right, just, right. That's grandpa what I'm, was, yeah. grandpa was just a part of it, you know.
1: His personality, his quirks, his whatever were part of him and those don't get stored or kept or whatever. I agree. That's what I that's what I think. I think that, you know, your essence that makes you you, you know, the, the drive, your spirit, your energy, that that survives. And the personal experiences and memories are things that get stored somewhere else.
3: You know, I actually had this, this same exact theory a couple months ago. I uh, was thinking about this and thinking that maybe, uh, like, your personal memories, right, are mm-hmm. are actually, like, a, a physical component of your body. Yeah. And like things DNA. like that may not survive. But, D- yeah, like, DNA, some man. sort of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, it, yeah.
1: The human blockchain. Think about it. <laughs>
3: yeah, totally. And, yeah, that's that kind of stuff may not survive death. But then how do you explain like near-death or uh, past-life experiences, because...
1: I don't believe I them. I mean,
3: my idea about them was that they could be uh, psychic in nature rather than an actual memory. Like, you're, you're basically re- remote-viewing your own exactly. timeline. Yeah.
1: That That's one thought. You're, it's, a, it's some kind of remote-viewing thing, but some of these people who do, like, the HQT and other types of regression like uh who's that guy i forget that guy's name but i don't like him um to more suggestive work you know they 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 put yeah. up a, put up a they'll build an uh, an astral construct for you to inhabit while you go through this procedure i don't uh nish remember when cw was doing that with hank yes yeah yeah (laughs) hank would you know put him into this trance-like state and then build an astral construct of some form and and draw the subject in and he thought he was on saturn you know and that was his past life now but it was totally constructed by this the the guy running the therapy
3: yeah but how do you know he wasn't on saturn i don't (laughs) i mean he may have put him on saturn and that's what I'm saying. Like, just, Oh,
1: no, no. He was just sitting in a chair talking about it. I mean, it was all mental.
3: Yeah. But um, well, I guess what I'm saying is uh, why would it necessarily like be a s sub- only purely subjective experience? I mean, maybe he was just remote viewing Saturn.
1: Um, maybe. maybe. I, okay, I guess I didn't explain my position. I don't think it's, it's good because I think that a lot of these experiences past lives quote-unquote past lives are suggested or are uh, a result of suggestions or hypnotic suggestions, yes. whatever yeah yeah
3: yeah i agree with you there oh. um the only way
1: I unless think, it comes to you naturally you know
3: yeah i mean i i'm, I'm not a proponent of hypnosis oh. at all and yeah if it comes to you naturally fine but even then unless you can corroborate like things with actual information that you can find about this past life. Like, there's no way you can know it's true or not. Like, I mean, when when I was on mescaline once, I had a profound feeling that uh, that like I had had a past life and I died in the Spanish Civil War. But I mean, I don't know if I did or not. It's fun to believe, maybe.
1: Maybe, maybe that uh, there's some really compelling evidence for that though. With these kids that that start talking, oh, you know, I was some guy down the street. And this other guy killed me. I heard this. I I saw this on the news. I might not be real, but whatever. This kid says, "Oh, this other dude killed me, and I was such and such." And they go and find out that this person he claims he was was killed by a man with an axe, and the kid's got a, like a birthmark in the same spot.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> and, so fascinating. And the
1: murder's been unsolved, and now they're like, "Oh yeah, he did do it," and they found the axe or something. You know, it was like because it was like of this that seventies
2: movie, Audrey Rose.
1: <laughs> I actually read that book. I mean, that's exactly
2: what we're talking about.
3: But on the other hand, what if, as a child, like, you're just more naturally able to pull in psychic information. What if he was just remote viewing this guy's death? And because a child doesn't have any real separation between, like, their identity and other people's identities, they just assume that they were that person. The,
1: the birthmark in the shape of the wound was the kicker for me.
3: The birthmark could be stigmatist. I mean, it could be psychosomatic.
1: He's had it since he was born. So he's remote viewing in the womb?
3: Maybe. We don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I know that for me, my experience, and I'm not telling the story again, but because I've told it enough, Lada's has had it. I came in really with a sense of self and, and confirmed later that it was, you know, under six months. And um, I, I don't have a sense of before, but I was stuck in flesh and I knew I like I was not, you know, it was still me and I felt stuck. Um, and then, so I, you know, I always wondered like, and, and I've always had a strong sense of of self not self as in like a, identifying with my flesh and in a deeper bigger sense and so that's what's always been such a a chink in the armor for some of these arguments with me listening to to other others speak because I of my experience you know and so how does one navigate this territory
3: yeah I mean and you know I'm just being contrarian here i mean i as i said earlier obviously believe in past lives and believe that we've all lived multiple lives but it, it's it all comes back to the fact that we can't subjective or objectively prove what's going on in any of this um it's something that i think russell targ brings up in, in the appendix to mcmonical book about rv <clears throat> specifically talking about uh associative rv in that there's no way to know whether or not you're actually pulling in information in the future or you're causing something to happen in the future through the act of RD.
2: Right, right.
3: Like there's a loop there, but there's no way of knowing what the chicken and the egg is there.
1: I think it's obvious if quantum theory is correct if you look at uh, the observer effect. um, Mm -mm. Regardless, if you're doing remote viewing or local viewing, it's still, you're still an observer. So yeah, your, your energy is there somehow.
3: Well, I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm thinking basically what what's happening is that you're creating stable time, like causal time loops, like stable time loops, like, because the important thing with like for people who aren't familiar, like associative RV is where you're presented with a binary option. Like, should I buy this stock? Yes or no. And The yes is is like given some sort of image, like say hamster, and no is given an image of like a fire truck, and then the person is like asked the question, and they're asked to remote view the the answer. They don't know what the yes or no images are. Um, An analyst then like sort of analyzes their results and tries to match it to one of the binary options, Um, like maybe somebody remote views like some sort of like furry animal. So it's like, obviously not the fire truck. So they say yes. Now, in the future, if like when the actual thing happens, like yes or no, um, the viewer is then shown the image of the thing that actually occurred. So like, let's say the stock uh, went up and the viewer is then shown the image in the future of uh, of the hamster. So what's impossible to know here is that, is the viewer like, basically precognitively like seeing this thing that they're going to see in the future when the event occurs? Or are they causing it to occur through the viewing? Like mm-hmm. almost like, like a form of like sigil magic or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I, I think what's really going on is that you're creating a stable time loop. Where like there's no real causality there, like uh, it's a circle basically. One See, thing no,
1: causes- I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish up.
3: No, that's it. That's it.
1: I was just gonna say. I, I really. I'm uh, more now than ever. I strongly feel that CRV is a form of sigil magic. That the target, when created properly, is a, is a, uh, a sigil that guides the subconscious of the. Viewer to that location.
3: Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, oh. that's that's why um, the uh, the and, like you're not supposed to like you know originally when they did coordinate remote viewing they called it that because they were using like real coordinates,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and then the uh, the skeptics came up you know in in the military were like well maybe these remote viewers are like literally memorizing every single Cartesian coordinate on Earth <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. that, like that would be possible, but in order to like cut that down they just started assigning random like a random string of like letters and numbers right. and just calling that the coordinate and it still worked. Right. So,
1: cause letters yeah. are sigils.
3: Yeah. You're just enciphering the image into a, a, a letter and number combination, which is basically a sigil.
1: And I'm sure, I mean, when I'm, when I, if I ever do CRV, I'm going to definitely repeat the target out loud. You know, I would say it a bunch of times to get it in there
3: but what's important is the feedback element so like you have to provide feedback Mm -hmm. okay so like in the future after the experiment is over the viewer is shown the image of like whatever the target is Mm -hmm. right so they can sort of analyze what they you know what happened right so like i said before it's in it's sort of impossible to know whether or not they're having a precognitive vision of having seen this image in the future Versus whether or not they actually remote viewed something.
1: It depends on how it works.
3: I mean, that's why, like, um, I posted something on Twitter uh, the other day where somebody was talking about the CIA, like the remote viewing project program, um, and they called Mm -hmm. it like astral travel, whatever. And I'm like, there's a very distinct difference between out of body experiences and remote viewing. McMoneagle says this multiple times like somebody tried to argue with me and they were like uh, You know, it's probably working on the same mechanics or whatever and i'm like They're two totally different things McMoneagle is very clear on that the experience of rv is very very different from the experience of Having an out-of-body experience and he's someone who did both Quite frequently he studied Robert Monroe and stuff. So he would know um I tend to think that information like RV may all just be precognitive in nature, rather than actual pulling in information uh, from a remote source. And that's something that you know we'll just have to do more research to figure out. But and that's why it may I, not like, be
1: it may not be discoverable.
3: I mean, it may not. I mean, maybe that's a question you can't answer because of like causality. Right. Um. Now that's why i am fascinated by veridical obe experiences where somebody's able to have an obe travel to another place remote to them and bring back information that they could not have possibly known
1: like something on the dresser
3: yeah or like, like um or like listening in on a conversation and being able to repeat the conversation mm-hmm. to a person at a later date and have it confirmed that sort of thing um I've never been able to do that myself. I've always had trouble staying in the real as it were I always end up when I have an OBE, I always end up, um, you know, drifting off into dreamland and exploring the the other worlds.
1: I wonder if that's uh, a natural mechanism to, cause you're not ready or something. I don't know. Maybe what if, what if, what, you know, what if you're too, not you specifically, you collective. what if we are too powerful in the real, in our, etheric bodies so we're, I mean, we're relegated to dream time or something like that.
3: it's possible i mean i've thought a lot about like uh one thing that's briefly mentioned in some stuff on rv is like uh, you know anti-rv techniques because all the major powers are doing rv and they realized like how dangerous it was so like they you know had to come up with anti-rv countermeasures and i've long kind of thought about like what if there are anti-obe countermeasures um I mean, I,
1: look, I'm saying it, it, it's, it's been said, I mean, I've heard people describe them that they're, they're all over the place,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that,
1: that the whole fourth dimension, i.e. astral plane is on lockdown. But,
2: yeah. Hence the free thing earlier.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if spirits can be trapped in a triangle of art, um, <laughs> is it possible for somebody in an out-of-body state to be similarly bound?
2: I keep wondering this. That's like one of my biggest ponders. Sometimes I feel like in the, I'm not a huge. I'm a prolific dreamer, and obs I have had a scattered amount of, but it's not like the common thing. And they all are. Um, I have felt like I've been trapped a couple times, like a genie, <laughs> mm-hmm. like summoned, like summoned.
1: You know. I just like thought, a spirit. I just and, thought it's crazy um, that relates to that. So go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, no, I mean, carry on. But that is something I was just thinking. I was talking to Eric, Reverend Eric, the other day. And it was, I think, I think that this is where this whole thing came up for me was maybe these. My experiences somehow I'm, when I'm OBE, but th- for me, I get overwhelmed with the out of body experience too. Sometimes when I get too think when I think too much into it, like, mm-hmm. like um, uh, I don't even know how to describe that. Like when I'm like, "Whoa, I'm out of my b- I'm by bi- local right now. I, I'm out of my body. You engage and your left I'm- brain. I totally, and it, 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 it always sends experience, but I was thinking about being conjured. Like I felt like there are a couple of experiences where I felt like I had been like conjured as a spirit to, to s- some ceremonies mm-hmm. and, um, and had a limited experience there. Like I couldn't move around much and all that. So Jerry, you were going to say,
1: <clears throat> well, a couple things, Um uh... You could have the spirit of something powerful that's reincarnated. That's just one idea. Well,
2: wouldn't that be grand?
1: Like a goddess. <laughs> I mean, not, 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 it's probably true. Um, the other thing I was thinking, the thing that, that like just slapped me in the face was this. Uh, back when I was a youngling, uh, pre, right about the time I became post-muggle, I found this website called creepyhollows.com. And they sell um, spirited items, jewelry, uh, stones, whatnot, that they allegedly attach spirits to. And one of the sections on their website, and this is the one that always struck me as odd, was living spirits. And they claim to have these objects that they've uh, made contracts with living spirits, you know spirits of living individuals on this planet Mm -hmm. that have allowed to be bound to these items. And a binding is nothing more than an an energetic frequency beacon for the the spirit or entity to find its way back to you if you need it. Mm -hmm. Think of it as a rope, but not a collar, not a leash. So that's what I was thinking of. What if you, your spirit, maybe in a parallel life or whatever, has... Uh, contractually bound to one of these types of individuals or, or, or things, objects.
2: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just now, it's just right now in my consciousness about pondering like those couple experiences where I felt, I felt that like I was, and I can imagine that if I was someone else and I, this was a new experience, it would have felt like an abduction. I just want you to know because you're pulled out and pulled out so sleep paralysis oh, that's fucking interesting and I'm having a good experience of lucidity which a lot of people equate with that a body but there's a difference and um and and I have lots of lucid dreams I, my main dreamscape is lucidity and um, high lucidity and but then all of a sudden I'm like pulled out so there's this whole whole different experience and if I didn't have the experience, the other experiences at hand, I would think that was part of the OBE. And then I'm in these um, environments or this environment that is very um, girl under glass bubble, you know, kind of experience. Like I don't have a lot of parameter to work with. And I can't really tell what I'm dealing with because everything's shadowy. And so, that's why I've been pondering this through magic lately.
3: Well, um, I was telling you about the, the Jovian the traveling to Jupiter experience a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Something similar happened to me like during that experience in which like I was like sitting there like or like, you know, standing there floating there observing the majesty of Jupiter when all of a sudden, I felt like somebody grabbed the back of my collar and just, like, yanked me, like, back. And I remember, like, I I started flying mm-hmm. backwards at, like, really fast speed. And, like, I saw, you know, moons and stuff fly past me and stars fly past me. And then, like, everything went black. And then I, I was, like, in another place. It looked like kind of like a daycare, like, very colorful walls, like, you know, some shelves with, like, books. And there were kind of other people, like, milling about in there. Oh, interesting. And I was like, where the hell am I? You know? And Did you get answers? Yeah, I, sort of. Um, you know, I was like, well, screw this. Like, I don't want to be here. So, like, I started I headed for the wall. Like, I was just going to fly through the wall and, you know, continue traveling. Except I, I hit the wall and oh. <laughs> I touched the wall and it was like, I couldn't go through it. I was like, oh, hell. Like, I, I was like trapped. Right. And I was, like, and so I, I was like looking around and I saw one particular person and I immediately knew like intuitively that they were the reason why I was there. Like, it was like this little kid sitting on like this couch, he had like his arms crossed and he was like looking at me he had like kind of wearing clothes that were a little too big for him, like a little jacket uh, and like a hat. Where like, I couldn't see his eyes, but I could see this like huge, you know, like slasher grin on his face, and he was just like smiling at me, and I immediately knew like he was the one who like grabbed me and pulled me here, and I didn't know why I was there, but I immediately just like zoomed up to him and just yelled like with like like a bunch of different voices at once, which is like a weird sensation, but I was like, "Let me out!" Like, oh, I don't wow. wanna, I don't want to be here. And he wouldn't say anything back to me. He just kept smiling. And I looked down at the table, and there was like a gun on the table. I don't know if I made this gun appear or if it just, if it was already there or what. But I just like immediately picked it up and without hesitation, like put it on one of his legs, and just like pulled the trigger into his thigh, and like it went off, and like, like blood shot out of his thigh. He just starts like screaming, like oh, like in pain, like you know, like this affected him. And I put it to his other like thigh. And I was like, "I'm gonna blow out your other knee if you don't let me out now." And he looked—he didn't have the grin now; like he looked really scared. And then I was out. Um, I actually woke up in bed, and
2: you amaze me, Ren. <laughs>
3: you amaze me. I just—I'm not gonna take shit from these things, you know. Oh man, that's awesome. That is and
2: seriously awesome.
3: So he wasn't quite done yet. So I, I'm laying in bed. I just woke up from out of body experience. I start to go back to sleep and immediately fall back into sleep paralysis. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess let's have another out of body experience. So mm-hmm. I like roll out of my body mm-hmm. and I walk down the hallway to my living room. But by the time I make it to the living room, um, it's like a different house. Like it's got these huge, like kind of like bay windows looking out into the street outside. It's like some kind of big mansion like house. Uh, and I look outside and like it's like kind of one of those neighborhoods where there's like the, It's like a two-way street separated in the middle by like a partition with like trees and stuff in it. And I see the same kid and he's like standing out there with a couple other people and he looks up and sees me in the window and he just looks like terrified. And I'm like, I just knew that he was like he brought me here too. Like I he he somehow grabbed me and pulled me to this place too. So I just like smash the window and just like go for his throat and he starts running away. And like manages to like slip away. I don't know where he went, but he just like disappeared and like ran off. And then I uh I floated around for a bit in whatever this place was and woke up again in bed.
2: I wonder what I'm so curious. Like, it totally feels like you were conjured. I mean, he was obviously able to pull you from your experience Mm -hmm. into his. Mm -hmm. But the description of him. Which could just be symbolic, is youthful, mm-hmm. right? Playing around and being youthful mm-hmm. um, is counter that, unless we look at it symbolically. And yeah, that's interesting. And then it's like he wanted to show his friends
3: mm-hmm. that
2: he could do that. Mm-hmm. And here's Big Bad Wren.
3: <laughs> yeah. I got the impression that, like, I got the impression he wasn't human. So, like, whatever place I got pulled to, I didn't, I don't think was like, in reality.
2: okay okay gotcha yeah, yeah. I didn't, i'm just going from the imagery you gave me which was human. human yeah. so
3: yeah yeah no he he looked human and the the places that i was pulled into both times were like places that looked like they could exist on earth they weren't dreamlike mm-hmm. um but i got the like the impression that they weren't you know reality that it was like some other area of the dream world that like i got pulled to
2: yeah, but there's also, and so they were fucking with you, though, clearly.
3: Yeah, he was He was obviously, that, that, that's what uh, I think is interesting, too, that there were other people in that daycare place, mm-hmm. like, milling around as well. I wonder if there were other people that he pulled there. Like, maybe mm-hmm. he was, like, creating a collection or something. Because right. all, all the other people were just wandering around like zombies. But, you know, I immediately knew that something was wrong.
2: OK, I want to touch on that. So in some of my OBs, Oh, I hear a big old crash in the house. Did you hear that?
3: <laughs> I heard that, yeah. I did.
2: Oh my god, I wonder what that was. For me. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, so in um one thing I have noticed and I've I've talked about this a lot in the past but I have not since we've been doing Noxmente, is I've definitely encountered people in OBE experience that mm-hmm. totally seems zombified okay. and um and i'm just wondering are these just people dreaming are they I, it always it doesn't perplex me enough when i'm encountering them i just move on because they're boring right mm-hmm. um but what do you think's going on there
3: I, I think you're probably on the money i think there are other people who are just dreaming just they're dreaming. probably they're probably just like we are when we have dreams that aren't lucid
2: yeah, yeah
3: we yeah. probably hear exactly the same way just going about like we're we're like actors in a play at that point mm-hmm. like not consciously aware of what we're doing but just kind of going along with whatever is being presented to us you know like living and whatever fiction.
1: is the, could that be because we're we're running the avatars in another life or we're you know backseating if you will we're in the backseat of okay. uh of our
3: other lives I'm not possible that's a neat idea though yeah
2: Hey Jared, did anyone ever have questions for Ren when we're yeah. back in the moment? Well,
1: when you had to go, I was asking them.
2: Oh, okay. I didn't know. I did not know.
1: That's very cool. So Ren, do you wanna do you wanna uh, push on your stuff?
3: Yeah, so um I keep a not frequently updated blog at liminalroom.com, and I'm mostly active on uh, Twitter. I'm, um, at Mr. Uh, underscore Apol, a P O L on Twitter. Um, generally I talk a lot there about occult stuff, cryptocurrency, whatever. Um, I'm also kind of like frequently a roundtable guest on where Do the road go? Um, it's a good show. And it like, is be a good show.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And yeah, I mean, uh, People can feel free to follow me on Twitter. Um, or if they have any questions, you know, hit me up in the DMs or whatever. My DMs are open as far as I know. So if people want to ask questions. Um, yeah, I'm always available.
1: What about your anarcho comedy, crypto comedy?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would,
3: I would uh, yeah. So I, I wrote a, um, a magical primer for like people completely unfamiliar with the occult or magic or anything called Libra Anarchia for Street Fight Magazine, which is a, um, a podcast. It's a zine for an anarcho-comedy podcast. And I would push that, but I think, unfortunately, um, it's not in print anymore. I think it's a pretty limited run zine, so I don't think they are any more available. So um, I'm going to be talking with the guys and say if they're not going to print anymore, if I can just reproduce it on my website. And if I do so, I'll I'll let everyone know on Twitter so they can go read it.
1: I have it's my still- copy right here. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's it's pretty basic stuff. I mean it's stuff that people probably if they're familiar with the occult probably already know. But if you're completely unfamiliar with the occult or don't know where to start or want to learn how to do sigil magic, um I, I think it's it's my bumbling attempt at making a pop magic for uh the two thousands.
1: Cool. All right, I'll find a link for the uh Street Fighter and put it in the in the description.
3: Yeah, uh-huh. everyone listen to the Street Fighter Radio, it's a it's a great <clears throat> podcast.
1: I muted Nish. Nish, are you back? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Ren, for joining us. Thanks for hanging around and talking. I kinda like
2: this was wonderful.
1: I kinda like this extended thing.
2: Yeah, this was great. <laughs> this <laughs> way it might be a success mm. for the future. It
1: would save me from having to edit all that shit
2: i know (laughs) (laughs) jerry's (laughs) backlog hey rin i want to join that so and i meant to reach out to you it's ironic or not ironic
3: synchronistic
2: that you were on tonight just after suzanne told me about the remote viewing thing
3: yeah um yeah you're you're in the charisma discord right yeah of course yeah so i'll just um i'll hit you up with a dm and i'll give you a link to the consent form um it's it's probably seems a lot more formal than it really is but it's mainly because i'm trying to run like an actual academic study and i think things like informed consent are important
2: so oh yeah i'm down with it so yeah
1: well thanks everyone for watching and thanks for listening if you're listening in later thank you ren for joining us thank you nish next week we have uh vince yanuza is yanunza is that how you pronounce it anyone anyone
2: ren in Zunza. Benzunza. <laughs> At least that's how I say it. I
0: don't know.
1: Pacific North Weird. They have a really cool channel. I've got the links in the description of that video. And in three weeks, two weeks, oh, uh, Heidi Vandenberg's coming up with Jenny Moonstone and then Gordon White. So we have an exciting March and April lined up. And we hope you'll all stick around to join us. So, Thank you, everyone. Take care.
0: Thanks,
1: everyone.